episode 221 of the F-Reality Podcast. We are reporting in from the wet and windy coastline of VR's Stormfront to bring you an entertaining podcast every two weeks. I'm a little hoarse, due to lots of hugs squeezing the air out of my lungs all week, uh, but that's not going to stop the show. On today's menu, we have Vive's Baby Turtle Trackers are just adorable. Game Developers Conference in San Francisco was a boisterous bunch of nerdy nutter butters. Rowdy Science is going to learn you good about ChatGPT4. And parties like SVVR's XR VIP Mixer are not to be missed. Hot diggity. After that, Adam's stepping in to give a speed read of releases later on in the show. And we always like to hear from chat. So please give us a shout, drop a question, or tell us what you've played and what's eating your free time up. We have a three-part crew today, as Jose is away playing the role of Mad Max and gunning it across the desert with his reboot Imagine team when plenty of cool tricks in tow, heading on their way to a world-changing event in Las Vegas. More about that next podcast. All right. He's already gotten ChatGPT4 to write ChatGPT5, and so by the next episode of this podcast, this scientific mastermind uh, we'll have bots doing all our jobs, and we'll be doing nothing but sipping GNTs and VRing until dawn. Say howdy. It's Rowdy. Hello, hello everyone. Yeah, I I see some comments in the in the chat already about my beard, but it has it has grown out a little bit. It's <laughs> a massive beard. It's like I I've been gone like I mean it's been four weeks since I've been on the show, right? So yeah. it's been a month. So uh like a, a thing about me is that uh my my hair grows really quickly. I said it to Sim as well. Like I've had, I have that. Like if I don't go to the hair cutter in like two months, I look like a yeti. You know, like uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty insane. It's only on my head as well. It's kind of weird. I was gonna but, say you gotta uh, yeah. take that. You gotta show. You gotta show us both ways because it's it's coming out the <laughs> top and the bottom. Oh man, it's just yeah. amazing. Um, but yeah, Rowdy. Yeah, so you've been indeed, gone, indeed. and it was funny because like. Rad, you were you, you missed that one show and, and and then like the next weekend I'm like, hey, you back yet? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm at another one. <laughs> He's just like jumping yeah. from conference to conference. How was all exactly. of that? You got any highlights from I, that or uh, anything? This I kinda... mean, it, it, it was amazing. Like we like the the first conference that I went to was more like in in my kind of field. Uh, but then when I was there, I like like I said to Carol, like maybe we should explore a little bit, see if there's other conferences maybe related to the field. So I went. I went to actually two machine learning conferences, one AI conference, one machine learning, and then uh, one conference more about like data science and like data analysis. So they were all like very, very related kind of conferences. Uh, but it was very cool to 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 mix with these people as well because they, um, you know, the, the machine learning field, I mean, we'll be talking about it today. I have a little presentation about it. It's not going to be very sciencey, but it's going to be very interesting, I think, because mm. this field is, uh, is exploding at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so there's so much stuff going on and this kind of stuff, and I got some I got some cool stuff that I that I that I got to try out and that I uh, I I got to um, I got to play around with. So uh, yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been great. You know, it's it was all in Canada, so I haven't really left the country. You know, Canada is huge. Uh, I realized that when I was there, uh, yeah. and uh, we went to the Rocky Mountains even for a day. All right, yeah, that was it was kind of amazing to see that as well. That's like that's like touching grass. Uh, Rocky Mountain style. That's nice. Yeah, That's nice. exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Well, glad to have you back, uh, back Rowdy, uh, and uh, looking forward to learning a little bit later on. Um, very good. Very good. Well, I finally got to meet your favorite lass in person over a salad the size of the Empire State Building. Uh, she said, Zim, you've got to get out there and just, uh, you know, live your life. 
Um, and I've, I've got to say, in real life, uh, she's an impressive gravity well of party planning and knows what is and isn't a worthwhile gathering. Uh, so how, how's your recovery going, Adam Bombati? Uh, it's it's rough. I'm not going to lie. I think all of like my voice has recovered since I had about, you know, like a day in between. But uh, man, it's it was pretty much so I flew in. I'm not going to go too much into GDC just on my general trip and all that. But yeah, I flew in Monday, you know, left Friday. It was I think a drinking event happened like every day of the week last week. So it's probably Thursday before I went on my flight uh, was the worst but the worst, not as in, uh, and it was super fun and I loved it, but man, I, I think I overdid it a little bit on the last hurrah, but, um, it, yeah, no, no, no regrets though. Right. It was, it was no super regrets. fun getting to meet everybody, but, um, otherwise before GDC, again, we'll get into mm-hmm. that a little later. Um, mm-hmm. I finally, finally got to play walking dead saints and sinners to hey! the PC. Yes. Finally. Um, Thanks so I was so really happy about that. And of course, switchback, um, that came out, uh, around I think I believe in the same week so I got to play two games that I've been looking forward to for a little bit and that made me happy and then I had to leave so I was like okay well it's, you know short-lived but I plan on getting back into that uh once I'm more fully recovered <laughs> and as a as a Walking Dead fan like how did you find the the second one because this is your first time touching chapter two right you didn't correct get a yeah and I didn't touch it before I didn't do the quest version at all I was waiting for you know steam um but I have it on the PlayStation VR too as well so I'm tempted to Kind of, I might bring my save into the Steam one to just continue on my blueprints, but then for fun sometime, I might actually play it on the PSVR 2 just to appreciate all of the, you know, the OLED and the blacks and, you know, see if there are any difference. And because I do kind of like the, the, I don't know, it, it, that was a tough game for me to decide on which one I wanted yeah. to start with first. So <laughs> That's a tough one. I heard something in a dev chat that, they may even be able to do cross-platform game no save. Way. And if they can do that, that's both incredible and I hate myself because I've reformatted a PC since then. I do not have my original Chapter 1 game save at all. It's it's oh, blown apart no. into bites and dust or whatever. And it's like, god damn. Because, <laughs> you know, you work really hard to get some of the recipes in that game. Like, I remember one run where I escaped on a sliver of health with nothing but a kitchen knife left on my belt. And I think I broke I broke that in a zombie. I shoved the zombie. Then I got to the boat. You know, it was like I was about to die. (laughs) And it's like to do that, to go and do that again. But yeah, the um, the look and feel I played a little bit of of chapter two as well. Man, the look and feel on PSVR two is amazing. Just that OLED panel is like, it's so good. I was saying to people on the, on the show floor, actually, at GDC about it as well, because, like, there's, like, lights that are flickering, like a broken bulb or whatever, and you know when, it, like, it sparks at you? I've never looked at a light in a game and had it hurt my eyes. It hurt my eyes. <laughs> Don't look in the sun, spark. Don't look in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my wife was like, do I smell eggs cooking? And it's just my eyeballs. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's lovely. But anyway, yeah, we're starting to get some really great games kind of landing. And man, they feel uh, they feel good. So uh, glad you made it, Adam. I feel like I've barely made it out alive as well. So we're here to recount our tale, talk a lot about GDC later and uh, learn some lessons from, from Rowdy later on. So I'm curious if chat have anything uh, to say to us. I'm going to take a look there now. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for reminding to come back every two weeks um, to hear a little bit from us. All right. What do we got? What do we got? We've I've got, got um, um, more Saints and Sinners Retribution on PCVR and uh, and Sons of the Forest, which I'm not going to go into here. But if you want to 
hear my opinions on it. I made a not great Steam review. <laughs> uh, oh, that's so that's the follow up uh, title. That's the follow is up it? one. Yeah, it's okay. still in early access. That's the one they actually delayed, uh, I believe, like twice. And I, after no spoilers, but after playing it, I can kind of see why. Oh, and I've gone dark, okay. but I'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did get that confirmed. So Pepsi Cat in chat has said any Chapter 1 game can export and be imported to any Chapter 2 version. So you can literally do cross-platform game save import. Um, wow, Ooh, that's sweet. incredible. Wow. Okay, I didn't, I've never heard of that in any game, let alone no. in the VR space. So that's great. Uh, Eric was saying not for broadcast and Go Signal have both been taking up some of my time. Thanks for the recommendation on Go Signal Zim. Well, that's a good place for me to pivot into uh, my highlight, uh, which is by Fast Travel Games. I feel like Fast Travel have tried a number of games and they've all, for me, kind of been decent, but none have won my heart until now. Uh, Go Signal, uh, a Stellaris game is basically faster than light, um, very similar to Narrows, what we had on Go, which I was a huge fan of, um, captured, in my opinion, perfectly, uh, which is now available on Quest. For me, it's a Quest game of the year uh, so far. Um, I know we're three months in. It is absolutely fantastic. I could not put it down. I had my headset, ran through the play, you know, the whole way through, then went through a whole battery. Uh, I played a daily campaign, getting all the way to beating the mission. I had about... 24 or like 30 different like weapon modifiers updates you can just keep adding it's not limited it's incredible um and they give you a a pet space dragon uh to help you so you're basically in this you're in this space-based kind of ftl equivalent in vr you also have an ability for hand tracking in the game which is pretty cool i haven't played with that so much but the ftl component is really neat because you're moving in three-dimensional space hiding behind asteroids blasting asteroids to get money um, and at the same time you're taking on these like mega space bosses in a colorful space game uh, with all kinds of enemies it's quite challenging i like my roguelites to be challenging and this one is but like you, the amount of moorish like leveling up that you do to your weapons and your your hull and all the different kind of bonuses to your ship you got to be careful how you build so you don't screw yourself over in the late game and it is just a beautiful little game. I mean, I this is something that I recommend to anybody who's like, I want to sit down in my quest, not necessarily like standing room scale stuff, right? I want to sit down in my quest, just have your hands in front of you. It's a beautiful seated experience. Um, and I will definitely be playing more of that in the weeks ahead because, man, I love that kind of FTL, like survive as long as you can uh, feeling. And it's great to have a spaceship and, you know, literally space dragons that help attack enemies on your behalf. And it's just... The whole thing is is cool. Um, I didn't know that part. That might convince me because I'm not really a like a rogue like person. Um, I get fr- I get frustrated easily, but I do like the like the big. I don't want to call them monsters, aliens. Maybe is it the more appropriate term? The big creatures that they have in the game. But I didn't know you could have little like followers too. That's pretty. I'm, I'm yeah. So you, did, did you did you stream this? Because I didn't see you stream this. No, it was oh, under okay. NDA. I couldn't do it. And I was like, God damn, uh, this is so good. <laughs> you know, you know me, Rowdy. I almost never play stuff offline. It's mm. I, I save it like even on the show floor, like a GDC and stuff like I don't play stuff first time. I don't go demo it and then play it for my audience. I just play right. it, play it live. Right. And this one I was like, well, I'm going to be away for the week. They're going to launch. I'd rather know if the game is any good. And then I was like, God damn, this is my favorite quest game of the year so far. Like, this is like really good. So, yeah, definitely go signal. Uh, check it out on quest. If you, uh, if you if you didn't realize this was coming, it dropped on the 23rd and it is a right. ton of fun. 
Uh, Interesting. The other thing for those who've been following my slow, uh, my slow return to racing, potentially, I've been like, <laughs> you know, a GT7 dropped and I was like, well, I buy it. Will I not buy it? And uh, well, I, I, I feckin caved and I bought a disc version. <laughs> so if I hate it, I'll sell it on and it's going back. Uh, but I've got a stream of that uh, planned for tomorrow. And if it, if, I, if it goes well, I was playing some Assetto Corsa with a friend um, there just, just before going out to GDC. And I was like, God, social uh, racing is just something I have to have in my life. But I realized how much that Assetto Corsa looks like a 2014 game still, even with mods and add-ons and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not usually a graphics guy, but uh, I need to give this a swing. So for all, all my fellow sim racers out there, if you are in North America... Uh, I'm going to probably be putting on a monthly race in GT7. Um, so if you like that kind of stuff and you like a really good time, yeah, there you go. Uh, they fish hooked me again. I feel like an alcoholic returning to the bar, but here we go. Zim racing is coming back. Yeah, sounds like it. So <laughs> there you go. Um, and now we've got the news section. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right in. Uh, one of the things, uh, and again, I've it's 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 impossible to not have a quilt this time with GDC because the amount of crossovers was insane the amount of people who I got to meet I'll talk about that a little bit later and I'm sure Adam will add her sorry Jose's not here but he had to <laughs> he had to change his travel plans because of Las Vegas uh, but we'll hear from him next time um, I met the nightmare tag dev who I was speaking about last time so for Rowdy's benefit to catch him up nightmare tag is a um it's like a, a horror experience very much like alien versus predator where it's a multiplayer, you know, some players need to escape. The other players are chasing and hunting down those players. And I'm at the Nightmare Tag Dev, and we're just talking away in a crowd. And then I traced my eyes down to his badge, and I was like, you're the Nightmare Tag guy. I just called you on the last <laughs> the podcast. And guy. he's like, he's like, whoa. <laughs> and it was like one of those moments where you're like, oh, it's just great. And um, so here's another game that I found on Reddit and dug out. Um, Gazzlers, which we showed, which was kind of like a a train slash rail shooter, very colorful, almost like a Borderlands universe, um, which is made by Banzai Studios. They're prototyping a VR submarine game uh, with pressure release handles and generally just an intriguing underwater experience. We haven't had too many like this. Um, I remember there was a horror underwater experience. I'm trying to remember the name now uh, from a couple of Narcos or something like that. Narcosis, um, which was underwater and you're like a... You're, you're the embodying an astronaut or something like that underwater. Really weird. But this reminded me of those sub, you know, uh, those levels in like Subnautica where you just feel the underwater sea terror. And this one has the kind of puzzling elements of like an I expected to die experience as well. So I really hope this studio who's already shown that they can craft quality experiences goes ahead with this. But um, what, what, what do you guys oh, both man. think? Like, is underwater? I uh, mean, you good it, with that? This or? sounds just horrible to me. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally like, if there's something that scares me, it's like the ocean. Like, even going on a cruise ship for me is like, you know, like you, when you see, like I said, it, I was yesterday in a bar and we were talking about something, and you know, we were talking about like, you know, innate fears of humans, and for me, that's definitely like the ocean. Because if you see like a, a cruise ship in the harbor, it's massive. It's absolutely massive. You know, you have all those different floors. You have so many windows. It looks like a like it's basically like a giant hotel, right? Yep. But then when you like see it in the middle of the ocean and they zoom out, like it's like this little mm. little dot and it's like just <laughs> surrounded by this huge amount of water. There's no land in sight. You know, that kind of stuff just just terrifies me. Speak like, you know, speaking of that, you've reminded me of something literally the day before um, went off, flew off to GDC. Um, I put my wife into VR for the first time uh, and into sorry, 
the PSVR 2 for the first time. Ah. Not VR for the first time. I was like, and I thought, book. we're like, what's going to be a, a safe title? Uh, because I was playing The Walking Dead, Saints and Sinners Chapter 2, and she's like, I, I don't know, I don't like the zombies coming at me kind of thing. I mean, we're both Left 4 Dead players, but you know how VR is like quite a bit more intimidating. Yeah. So we're like, oh, right, give her a safe experience. So I put her in the Horizon demo. And, um, well, that went well for the first half. She was awed at, you know, as robots were going around and all this kind of stuff. You get the giant walker. But I forgot she's terrified of water. And oh, I had yeah. walked away. And so I come back to my wife, literally tears running like this. She's completely in shock because in that experience, mini spoilers here, they throw you in the water with a snap maw, which is like a gargantuan alligator underwater. And she freaked out completely. We have it on camera. I haven't clipped it and shared it yet. (laughs) I wasn't even in the room. I was taking care of our child's uh, children. And and I come back and and she's like clearly shell-shocked in a way that I've never seen her in VR. And it was like horrible. It ripped my soul out. But Rowdy, you just reminded me there because years ago we put her in Subnautica. And that open water thing, you know, like when you're in there, she's completely terrified. And so just a warning to others, if you're at, I will show this clip <laughs> with her permission, but um, uh, like Horizon yeah, can be a scary experience. Like she's there on the dock, your man gets eaten, and then the thing comes jumping at her. And the best part about it all is, you know, their locomotion system that you were kind of complaining about, Adam, the, the arm kind of one? the um, arm one, running. she couldn't figure it out. So she's like flapping her arms like a, like a, like a sea lion or something. <laughs> trying to move like it was working but it looked ridiculous right. and then she's got tears running down her face and oh. it's like the whole thing was just very very messy so i thought Sad. i'd give a word of warning and uh yeah don't don't do that to your spouse not a good <laughs> idea um yeah oops uh so that was that one but that's hilarious it's like fluke roji said that's the reason for divorce he threw me <laughs> in a river with a robot dinosaur <laughs> what more reason yeah. do you need um oops yeah, so that's uh, that's the end of my marriage. And on, with that, let's uh, speaking about water, right? Let's talk about streams. Uh, the superpowers that be um, were went, went to working with uh, Ninja, the infamous Twitch streamer, uh, the one with the sickly green hair, uh, to put on is a he, showcase. Is he still around? I he's haven't heard still from around. Guy in ages. Yeah, he did a couple of platform hops, and he's been pretty quiet since then. But he's he's actually back to doing his usual his usual gig on on Twitch. He kind of went away for a bit and then came back. Um, Interesting. And like many of us do, I know Twitch is one of those uh, hot and cold relationships. Um, but it was interesting to see him uh, showcasing Marvel's Iron Man VR uh, game, which was also on the show floor of GDC. Meta had that showing. Um, my initial reaction to this uh, news wasn't very positive uh, because it comes in tandem uh, with the news since the last show of another 10,000 staff being laid off at Meta. So they're doing even you know deeper staff cuts. And last time we were lamenting about uh, the kinds of ads that they were going after, like with Oreoverse and um, these kinds of things, uh, just just kind of being a bad taste at the moment with uh, the staff layoffs that they've got. And so here's another one where, you know, they're getting a big uh, Twitch streamer to kind of cast their game. And my concern was really mostly about quality and uh, the way a Twitch uh, audience normally reacts when you show a quest casted game after having seen, you know, beautiful 60 frames per second, fluid motion, you know, usual PC uh, desktop, you know, gaming. Is, is usually not very happy about it. You know, chat usually gets their pitchforks out and start complaining. And that's exactly what happened. Um, 
The stream itself was using Quest Casting. It was limited FPS. Okay. Uh, the worst part about it was that the audio balance was really off, which is a big no-no for any production at all. You couldn't even hear Ninja, and you could just hear these kind of loud, quite... Um, almost painful uh, sounds from Iron Man. Iron Man streamed all right. He had some help on site. Um, but the big question was, why wasn't Meta having Ninja show off Population 1? He's a Fortnite streamer. He's known for it. Doesn't make and any sense. And the part like that this, I couldn't... Like, I feel like this about how um, Jose felt about the Ozzy Osbourne thing, except worse, because it, uh. you're also going to highlight the negative parts of you know, uh, casting on the quest. So it's like, why wouldn't you just, I mean, I, I realize yes, Ninja's a big name and he's in, you know, he's, he might be the demographic that they might be looking for, but yeah, multiple things are wrong with this. Why is he not playing something that he might be better at there? This is highlighting the fact that their casting streaming options are terrible. Um, it's just, and he's probably, you know, very expensive. Not that Ozzy isn't, but like, I don't know. It was just, there's just so many things about this that I'm like, I what? Yeah, the la- the last thing they did was the live stream with Martha Stewart and the Oreo verse, which was looked <laughs> awful. It was a really like really poor way to watch it if you weren't in it with her. Um, and then this was, it was okay. It was on par with uh, some of the streams that I run, right? And I, quality isn't my number one thing. It's more about entertainment. But um, the real concern I had was he started off his show in Fortnite. The first half yeah. of the stream was in Fortnite. And then he transitions to Iron Man. Had he transitioned to Population 1, it would have been a glove, you know, hand-in-glove fit. Um, mm. So this... But the reason why it starts on Fortnite is so that people tune in, right? Yes, That's exactly. That's why, because he played it for like 20 minutes or something, right? Um, it was... Uh, 40, 45 minutes, roughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually looked worse for wear a little, a few times he kind of popped out of the headset. I was wondering oh, if he was no. experiencing a little bit of discomfort. Um, and he had the usual thing where he's wandering around his room, he's off scene, all this. If you're if you're not, you know, if you're not used to VR streaming, these things happen. Uh, same thing like the audio balance. And um, I'm glad he had someone there with him because I was worried, you know, scene goes black. Nobody in chat is able to get communicate with him. And then, you know, for 40 minutes, you get a black screen like that kind of thing can happen if, if you're not ready. So um, but it just felt like a Bollywood level mismatch about, you know, arranged marriage where the guy or gal finds their heartthrob in another country and just wants to abscond, you know, against their family's wishes. Except in this case, it was Ninja deep throating a banana for health in Pop 1. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll take a cut of those movie rights. Some people no, are no, saying no that maybe it's because he, I mean, given his how good he is at Fortnite, uh, and if he's not, he doesn't really have VR legs, Population 1 may have been just a sh- great showcase of him getting owned constantly by people Absolutely but also failing. getting sick. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's a good that, point. That, yeah, they were yeah, bringing that yeah. up in chat and I was like, oh, that's a good one. Because, you know, but you don't want to see mean, Ninja be terrible, which is hilarious yeah, to me, but probably not he, his he audience. Would be, yeah, I would have sure. loved that, though. I really would have watched that, you know? But we're uh, not whereas... Ninja fans. Like, we, we, would, we kind of want to see him do poorly, but I imagine the people that are actually watching him, they watch him because he's this competitive, really good Fortnite guy. So to see him kind of suck yeah. at something might be like, what is this? That's, <laughs> it's kind of like a, an error on Meta's fault. Because like, you're not going to, you, you're getting a, a a Fortnite streamer who's only popular for Fortnite. I don't think, he, I, I don't even know. Does he play anything else? He plays other games. One of the things that I really like watching Ninja play is poker. He's uh, he's he has poker streams, and sometimes he does poker with big names. 
Um, and he's actually pretty good at that. He's quite entertaining. He's a good guy to talk around the table, for example. So I don't feel like this stream really played to Ninja's strengths. It didn't play to Meta's mm. strengths. And again, I just have to ask the question, like, how are you guys spending your money, right? I mean, it's you got a company, you want to survive, you want to do well. Uh, what we all want is we want people to be attracted to the metaverse world that you're building, you know, and try to come and buy more headsets and, and get. And I just don't see them picking the right titles yeah. for this. You could support indie devs with some awesome new titles. You could support your cash cows if you want, like, again, like a pop one or a Beat Saber. But they're just not showing off the stuff that's really going to sell for them. And that's that's the reason I want to just keep highlighting it here, because they're big investments for these teams to be taking. And I don't think they're making the right bets. Um simply put. But speaking about bets, let's talk about tiny little turtles and baby turtle trackers from HTC Vive. Um, there is a new series of uh, tracking uh, mounts that they used to have this kind of like a three-part tracking puck, very oddly shaped, um, that you would have to kind of Velcro to your body in a few different places if you wanted uh, and was reliant on base station cameras to track you. Uh, so outside in tracking. Um, but what about, you know, Vive uh, have now come out with trackers that are kind of like a smooth little puck. Um, again, I like to think of them tracking little baby turtles as they as they spawn and clamber down the beach. Um, and, and you can have about five of these working in the same VR system. They clip very easily. They've got a UNC mount, like that, you know, quarter-inch jack that we're all used to as content creators, that, that general screw, um, so that you can very easily clip into various mounts, track your elbows, your legs, your feet, that type of thing. Uh, but the beauty is that these little pucks have uh, tracking cameras. So they are self-tracking trackers, um, which is wonderful because not only will they track themselves, meaning you don't need base stations or that kind of setup, but you can also use these on non-Vive headsets, which totally opens the market for these trackers. And somebody like my wife, who's currently modeling a... Um, uh, 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 a, a VR chat character could, you know, have a future where she's got some self-tracking trackers and have legs brought into the experience. So you get your know, full model, even though her, her main is like a Quest 2, you know, so that's that's pretty neat. Now, I was curious, I didn't get a chance to uh, find a demo either. I think it was off off show floor in hotel rooms. Adam, did you get a chance to? I was I was supposed to be there, but I think they forgot to push my name on. <laughs> So I didn't end up uh, I didn't end up making it in time, but I'm really interested in these. Like I don't personally use my trackers uh, a lot. I'll use them at work occasionally and in VR chat. But like one of the biggest videos on my channel is getting trackers to work with a Quest 2, which I feel bad because like you you mm. can get it to work, but it's you can't expect the quality that you know with having a with you pairing it with something like a PC that, or a headset. How does There's, that even work? Is that software trick? Because you have the base stations yes. and you, you're using Steam. Um, yeah, so you I'm curious need... how the Quest and the trackers are. Yeah, how are they, how are they talking to each a... other? There's an app that you can get to sort of to calibrate it. So like I usually run it through virtual desktop or it can be on Steam. Uh, the name escapes me because they all sound like OVR, you know, everything. But you basically <laughs> you calibrate each tracker by doing like a figure eight motion. So it's getting sort of all sides of it. But the problem is because um, like I always tell people you, you want at least two base stations. But I feel like a lot of the quest people want to see if they can get away with one. And it's like, OK, but uh. if you turn around you're going to have to like there's a lot of recalibrating that you're going to have to do if you try it this way and even things like the quest going to sleep that could and or you you know taking off your headset putting it somewhere else like that can there's so many factors that can mess up the oh. calibration that okay. I would really only do it if you were like 
you're in VR chat like all the time and you just really are determined. Otherwise, it's not the it's not the best, but it's doable. But I don't really recommend it's it. good to know. But yeah, this yeah. I mean, this this definitely sounds like it's going to cut out a lot of pain for people who use those existing trackers. And yes, um, hey, you know, if um, Zuckerberg and his team aren't going to give you feet anytime soon, well, here's your <laughs> shortcut. You know, they're so. going to give you legs, but no feet. Oh, <laughs> yeah, God. That would be hilarious if that happened. <laughs> we end up footless. <laughs> oh, man. But so so that's uh, that's that's Vive's new uh, new thing that's coming out later this year. Uh, but no price has been announced yet for these. So I'm curious about that. And the runtime is meant to be something like three or four hours, which should be enough for your average session. I would think. I I've heard and, and I won't say who I heard this from, but they're going to be significantly more expensive, it seems like, than the current oh, trackers no. per track. The new yeah. one, they're like $90 or $120. For one buck. Yeah. Wow. And so I, I was told that these are going to be uh, upwards from there. Again, not 100% confirmed, but I was told it's going to be a pretty significant Boy. increase in price. For so these probably $150, $200 per puck. Yeah, it's probably... Well, I mean, the thing is, if you look at the, for example, the, the Quest Pro controllers that are self-tracked as well, I mean, having that, they, they need, the thing is they need a brain, right? They need a brain, they need the processing, they need the cameras. That's going to uplift the, lift the price significantly. So, yeah, interesting to see it. But I like the design. I think it's a nice design. Um, it's the only thing on the market that's really like this. And you can tell it's a pivot off of their, like, their Mars tracking system, which is used for cinematography, tracking of cameras in a virtual scene. They use that on, uh, like, Star Trek TV shows and stuff like that. So really interesting tech. Um Super. So th- this, I, w- I wonder if this will be uh, more appetizing then to producers, uh, like television show producers, than you know at home, depending on where the price point comes in. Um, cool. Very good. Well, another bizarre turn of events. Uh, Meta have opted to launch uh, Oculus Publishing from Meta, uh, which, uh, from what I've heard, is essentially a revenue share system in simple terms. Uh, Meta gets some money on titles as a trade for publishing tools and clout, uh, but this blog announcement and uh, the previously published title sizzle reel that they gave just strikes another odd emotion with me. I don't know. Meta keep kind of surprising me in a way uh, and then going like, what are you guys doing? Um, it, it, to me, it's a completely nonsensical decision to call it anything but Meta Publishing. Yeah, why? Um, why? You can't call it Quest Publishing because it, it ties you to a specific headset line. But what? Uh, Oculus was already something they decided to divest from. Why are they bringing it back now? Right? It, it really just makes me upset. So, do you guys have any idea why this makes sense? Like, why, why would why would you call it Oculus? Especially because it's like it's meet Oculus Publishing from Meta. <laughs> Good God! They already killed off Oculus Studios, right? So, yeah. like, why 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 are they bringing this back from the grave? If they if they were going to publicly say, you know what? For all of our VR branding, we're going to go back to Oculus. We've heard it. People still want that. We're going to switch back. If they did that, be totally fine with that decision. But because that is not the the lead here, and they're saying, we're going to hang on to something. We're going to announce something that isn't new. It's just a branding for something to try to get our word out there. It's just another way for them to get money, really, uh, from developers who honestly need the publishing or the tools or the, the road to get their game out. I get it, but that did not exist before. This has existed already. They've published those titles. So why? I I, I, I haven't been able to answer that in the last three days. Um, uh, we I have haven't no chat. idea. The, the thought was the first party is still Oculus Studios. So Oculus Publishing is their third okay. party support. So they didn't kill off Oculus Studios yet. So sort of like Oculus Start, Oculus Launchpad. But I feel like these are still things that should have been thought out before or like 
I don't so, know. What I was what I was referencing there is uh, several years ago they 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 slashed they kind of slashed and burned a couple of the Oculus the first party studios that they had. So they had they had done all those um, kind of like tilt brush esque titles. What was it called? Quill, for example, the team who had done that. I, I remember they mm. had uh, cut that team, let them go. So not that they've c- killed it completely, but it is. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a problem. I just I've, I see them investing in the wrong places. I see them making very odd moves, and I I've said it last podcast. I want Meta to succeed. I think it's quite important for the industry that they succeed. And I just don't know. I feel like a headless chicken right now. So I'd like to see them do a little bit a little bit better at that. Or a little bit more. Or a little bit more. Yeah. Well, what do you what do you think, Rowdy? You've you've seen the the kind of full track of, of Meta and you know, we've worked with them closely before, but like what what could they do to like turn the ship around a little bit? I mean, they've gone too far, right? I, I don't I don't think they can bring back now all of a sudden the name of Oculus because it will always be tied to Meta. You know, the the way Oculus, the way I still see Oculus is like the thing we had before Meta, right? Uh, it's not the same thing anymore. I think it's now it's a Meta product and they should just, you know, get rid of the name entirely, even if they have a studio that is Oculus, Oculus Studios or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, Exactly right. So now. all the all the still existing Oculus names should go. Uh, just because, not because. Just confusing. Though. I think. Yeah, exactly. Because it's confusing. Not because I don't like Oculus Studios or not because like, no. Nah, it's just they 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 made such a big thing of like changing the name and then <laughs> you still see the name on so many things. Uh, I mean, the amount of times that I answered the question, looking at the Meta Quest Pro headset. Who is this by? And in, in that conversation, you have to use the terms Meta, Facebook, Oculus, uh, Quest. And it just confuses people like crazy. Um, mm. They just don't understand it. They're like, I see a, a generic looking black headset with no obvious branding on it. Do you remember the first the DK1? It had Oculus in bold bold letters down the side. People still yeah. remember that. Um, so anyway, that's that. Uh, I, I did want to highlight as well, before we get into the GDC news, um, a quick trick uh, that I thought was quite cute. Tyrael Wood uh, showed off a really interesting thing that he tried out, um, which was he connected his PSVR 2 headset to his PC via a virtual link USB-C port, and it worked. So it was limited, but it also worked for me. I tried the same thing, and I was like, hot damn, I didn't even know that port was on my video card. I have an RTX 2080 Super, that some years ago was gifted to me by a, by a dev. So thanks again for that. But there was this little dusty USB-C port. And I was like, eh, let me give it a shot. So I plugged my PSVR 2 in. And what do you see? You see basically their cinematic mode displaying your Windows desktop. So you can then play uh, any, it's not, so it's, 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 you are in VR, but it is a flat in the void Again, feels like a 120-inch TV representation of your Windows desktop as an extra monitor. So I have, you know, a dual monitor system. This becomes a third monitor, and you can just play a flat game in there if you like. Uh, it's It was really interesting. I'm going to try to play some games in it um, because that panel, like what Adam was saying, is really attractive. So I'm going to try something like Doom Eternal, something with, like, very high brights and darks and see how that feels. Um, so I'll report back. But for anyone with... Uh, both a PSVR 2 headset and a virtual link cable. Fun little trick. 
again, thumbs up to Tyrael for having tried that and tried it out. He's got a nice demonstration over on his channel of what this looks like, what you can expect to see in the headset. So that is the first inkling of like, hey, it could work, you know? And so I hope we can work this out some So it's just like cinema mode, like for those of you or myself who yep. have a PSVR 2, but for your desktop games, essentially. Yes. And like if that. you don't have a card, if you don't have a card uh, that supports this, I absolutely would say don't go buy a card just to get this working. It's not worth that. Uh, yeah. But if you have a card it's with a shame the port, got rid of that, it's worth trying. Right? I, I can't believe Virtual Link is dead because they, yeah, yeah, they sunset it, but it's such a handy connection to have over one cable lossless transmission through a single cable, you know, through a single cord to your headset, um, mm. which which is why, again, this excites me a little bit because I'm hoping the hackers out there can find a way to get proper VR throughput to work. On HDMI. <laughs> I don't know. Um, just like I really wanted to find a way. I mean, you can't, maybe there's going to be a way that they, because the cable is replaceable, maybe there will be a way to change the transmission cable. You swap out a component of your headset and then play it on PC via, like you said, maybe HDMI, mini HDMI, one of these uh, ports and be able to, you know, get it all through. But I don't know. I don't know how the controllers work in that respect because I don't want to be limited to gamepad experiences we, either. We need to, we need Jose to like break one down tear it apart and like rebuild it and then have it work through HDMI. <laughs> <laughs> God. I would. Get on it, Jose. Yeah. When you're, when you're <laughs> finished with Las Vegas, get uh, get tinkering. Uh, so that's a pretty cool trick. I don't know. Um, Adam, what's your take on, on the PSVR two headset right now and PC? If you, if you had the ability, even if it was a little bit tinkery to do that with PC, would it be something you'd, you'd consider or would you say, eh, I've got my index. Not really. I mean, currently as it is, I'm like, eh, I don't feel like I'm missing out on much. The only reason I would want yeah. to be able to, and I was like, just but I have a capture card for that. Like the only reason I would really want to connect my PlayStation to my PC. And again, like you said, this is coming from someone who's got an index. So it's not like I would really need to do this out of like PSVR 2 being the only headset I have. But I guess the only benefit I would see personally is just like easier, you know, streaming, recording whatnot more more options available or um, even being able to play certain steam vr games that aren't on the psvr2 yet using uh psvr2 hardware uh, or like the lenses rather would be interesting but i i don't know it's, it's not a huge deal for me yeah again, it's not a, it's not a huge jump it's not really a huge jump if you think because you're still on a corded six off headset with good clarity well you know with decent panels and colors mm-hmm. yeah may, 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 hmm. I don't know. I've, I've seen some people trying to tinker and, and get, you know, index-like headphones off your headphone solutions for PSVR 2. Wow. I think that'll, Franken- that'll come at some point. Yeah, Frank and Quest it, <laughs> essentially. Exactly. Um, cool. So so with that, let's go ahead and um, jump to GDC 2023. Um, so we're going to give you a quick roundup. Uh, myself, Jose, and Adam, uh, we're there, and we're going to run through a couple of categories about GDC. So... First off, fantastic event, very well attended. 
Uh, you can tell that nerds take over San Francisco for the week. Uh, they are, they are, you can tell. <laughs> Aren't they always there? They are everywhere. It's amazing. Um, and like every cab driver, restauranteer, all that was like, hey, you here for GDC, you know, kind of thing. Because they, so they obviously smell it off you. So you're not cool enough. <laughs> um, so I love that a lot. I just want to say thanks to Resolution Games, who's who previously sponsored the podcast a few times. Uh, they flew me out. Uh, I got to meet uh, Tommy Palm. Um uh, Defour, who's Dennis, Gustav, Fadi, Heldweg, uh, and others. It was a really nice show to be part of. I was there to help them um, show off Spatial Ops uh, locally on site, which is a mixed reality shooter that they have and is available uh, on there. Um, you can get that on, on SideQuest if you're keen to kind of have a Nerf war at home virtually with a couple of headsets. Um, so we were showing that off, and that was fun to show. It had a really good spot on the show floor just, just near Meta and right near the escalators as well. Um, so it worked out really, really well. Um, also got to meet a load of other people. I'm going to call some names out just because for me, these events are all about people and my God, I got to meet, meet and see people who I was not expecting. Uh, first off, it was obviously Adam and then, uh, the live team went out to dinner with them. That was super good fun. Uh, I was expecting him to have green screens in tow, but strangely not, uh, (laughs) Jose and his reboot Imagine crew. You know that one guy who does like these Zoom meetings on like weird events? Yeah. You know, he has like, like laptop. Was on like, a motorcycle like, or green... whatever? Yeah, it's on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. Like that's how I expect it. <laughs> there we could have, have been so funny. The waste somehow. This is the green screen behind it the whole time uh, going through life. So I got to meet yeah, Jose, uh, Amanda, Laura from kind of his team. That was really great. From content creator side, I had Creeper Betty, Jay Brat VR, Todd from QTC, Wes from Virtual Strangers. Been loving their like PlayStation cast. That was his only second ever show. So it was like, it was nice Aww. to catch wow. him out. Obviously a rare one for him. But as I said to him, I was like, once you get this stuff into you, you're not going to stop because these cons are like, uh, it's just amazing. Like a family reunion every time. Uh, Jasmine VR as well, complete nutcase. I thought she was going to be really like quiet and stuff. No, no, completely opposite. Um, Soul Fox VR from Alabama as well. Uh, and then we had like Eric uh, from QTC who I'd met before and Skiva as well, who just, you know, bear hugs me, lifts me in the air like I'm a six year old. And um, that, that always feels good. And also a little bit out of control. Like he's like a big, he, he like looks like a big Russian dude. You know, he can just pick you, pick you up with one arm and you're like, I'm a little boy again. Uh, so that's always fun. Uh, I love Skiva. He's such a good guy. I got to meet the entire kind of what I'll call the upload and X upload team. So uh, Ian, uh, Reverend Kyle, uh, I know he just goes by Kyle uh, now. Uh, Jamie Feltham, uh, David uh, Jaggernaut as well. So the kind of upload stuff. I'd never met them before in person, so it was nice to see them. Uh, Alvin Grayland from HTC was there, uh, who had just recently kind of out of the blue randomly added me on Discord as a friend. And I'm like, is, is this just someone trolling? Or No, it's actually <laughs> him. Um, Chet Falazek from Valve and Left 4 Dead was just walking across the show floor. And I'm like, fucking A. I love that dude. He's he's he's, he's, my, he's my Steam friend, actually. Is he? <laughs> oh, good yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. They, they've got a new game called Anacrusis. Again, it, it's a little bit like um, Left 4 Dead. And in the middle of that, there's like, there's a kind of zombie, basically, that, that does like a, a flashlight. It just like, blows out the entire scene like almost like a flashbang and you can't see it's a really cool effect so if you haven't checked out anacrusis do that i also saw jeff knightley or Ke- jeff Keeley, sorry uh from the game awards he was just standing outside a pub when i was trying to find gdc and i'm like is that jeff he's like just standing there with a beer in his hand or whatever and i was like 
fucking hey. Like, you just start to see all these, like, star-studded folks, and it was amazing. Got to meet several of the meta team, the people who we always pick on um, and speak to them firsthand from their MR and AR teams. Uh, so that was really good, and I hope that they uh, learn a little bit from Resolution Games about their setup system, Guardian, and all that, because, uh, yeah, things like Space Pirate Arena are just too difficult to get set up. And I think they can learn, you know, give us like 10 by 10 or 30 by 30 square. That'd be really great. Um, got to meet the Synth Riders team as well. Uh, got Hey Falcon. Um, uh, Hasco from so many years ago. You know, I think it was 2019 or 20, 2018. Last got to meet her. The Toronto kids were in town. So that was Blair and Ashley from Titan Haptics. Got to meet VR Nima and John O. Uh, Thrill and Fia were there at the bar, and so we got to fist bump and stuff. I'd never met Fia before, so it was nice to talk to her about animating characters, because as I said, my wife's got a project doing that. Um, we had her uh, on the show, though. I know we did, right? I, and I'd totally yeah, forgotten. Yeah. I said we had her on the show, but I'd forgotten I was there, and I realized right. it's because I met her character avatar, not right. her, yeah, her, yes, her yes. meat body. Not her meat body. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way to put it, Adam. Um <laughs> But but yeah, meeting in the flesh is, was was kind of really nice. They're actually really a really adorable couple, uh, Thrill are. and Fia together. They've got the perfect like same energy, and so that was super nice. And then um, again from from the dev side, Hamza, who uh, previously made Poker VR, has a new kind of Quake like game coming out called Shootout, which is really cool. Look out for that. That one's coming out, so that's called Shootout. And then from you know Ancient Dungeon VR, uh, Eric Tholen, who was the solo dev who made that, and now has a kind of team with him. Um, got to meet him, and it was fantastic. And across the show floor, Joe Dunlop from uh, Cloudhead, uh, who Rowdy will remember from uh, some of the the show floor demos back at uh, I think it was OC six uh, when they they were showcasing Pistol Whip. Uh, <clears throat> she beat my arse at pool so bad. <laughs> Man, sh- do not put money on a game with her. She she knows how to play pool. It was like you're like all right, let's go, and then she sinks five balls in succession, and I'm like, uh oh, I'm in trouble. Um, got to meet their CFO, Sarah, and, um, they were teasing about, uh, as well, a new game that they're developing, Rowdy, so keep an eye on this space, because, nice. uh, I can't wait for more Cloudhead game, games, uh, they, they, yeah, they sure. wowed us before, you know, um, and then the final, just to kind of cap it off, I, I finally got to meet, uh, Jerry Ellsworth, uh, of Tilt 5, and showcase, uh, see their equipment again with a new multiplayer experience that they were showing. And uh, they, they won me up. You, you know I do my Zim coin? Well, they've got their own feckin' Tilt 5 coin now, which is it's this pretty. big metal thing. And it is, I, I'm i like, I got up my game, man. This thing is great. Like, it's <laughs> proper gold. I'll break a tooth if I try to bite it. But that's some real gold. Love that. Um, so that was the people side for me. Adam, what about you? Who did you get to bump into, meet, you know, any one of your dreams? I know you go to a lot of these more events than I do, so... Maybe you've got less on your checklist than than I have. Yeah, it was interesting because I, um, I I say the two that I was probably looking three three that I was looking forward to the most. Like you mentioned, pretty much like everybody and their mother already. But it was uh, Blair or Anti Cleric, you know, Lo Fi. Oh, yeah. And it's mostly because I really wanted to, I had this joke in the back of my head. I really wanted to make fun and be like, oh, I thought you were a woman. Because, you know, he gets that a lot because his name is Blair. Like the Blair thing? Gets yeah. yeah. So I was happy that I finally got to meet him. Um, I got to meet Hey Falcon because we've been talking online for so long. And, you know, he's in Australia. So that's like a million bajillion miles away. So, and I don't think he's also been out at an event in a long time. But yeah, that was super yeah. fun. We actually did. Uh, we played sandbox VR with him and a couple members of the the live team because it was like just down the street from uh, the hotel that I was staying at. So that was super fun. What is sandbox VR? I I don't think I know that one. Yeah, it's like a full not full body, but like just your regular VR arcade that's got um, 
brain is not working with the words, but you've got like the full room to use. They have these a, a location-based experience. Yes, location-based. Oh That's right, so kind of like Void-style gameplay. Yeah. Oh, okay, I know yeah, them now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They've got. Okay. They um had a couple of places open in the states, but I think just like most places, COVID kind of hit them hard. But they're making a resurgence, so that's hmm. good. But, what did you guys um, actually play? Just curious. Uh, we played, it was one of their games called Deadwood Valley. It's a newer edition. Um, hmm. I hadn't tried that one before. I think I'd been to a sandbox a while ago, but this, it, it definitely, it, it pushes the zombies on you real fast. There wasn't a lot of prep time on like, okay, here's how to do the things. And you, I really liked it because you got to choose which gun you went in before um, and one of my favorite things, maybe I'll post it on Twitter or something if I haven't already, is you, the ending videos that you get. I should have sent this to Rowdy. Um, they'll they'll is send it you on Twitter. I can look it up. No, I didn't. I didn't think I posted it yet. Uh, hmm. But they send you a video at the end that's kind of highlights of different parts of your game. But it's not just a trailer cut with you. It's like actually, it shows uh, you in the game with your teammates, and your names are highlighted on the back and. Uh, and there's another one where they have like this kind of cheesy dance party thing at the end, but that's, you know, that's whatever, but it's super, super fun. So if you haven't tried, you know, one of those types of VR experiences for, I highly recommend, especially with people that like most, some of my coworkers I had already met, a couple of them were, were newer mm-hmm. to me. Um, but even Falcon, like it was my first time meeting him, but we all just fit in so well. Like it was just like, we had already, I mean, we had already known each other for a while, but it, it felt like we had also known each other in person for a while. It was so nice. Um, oh, and Neolithic Dawn, the developer, um, we've been following each other on TikTok for a while. And so I finally got to meet him and it was super nice. But it's it's always great seeing, you know, like all of the other podcast crews, you know, the QTC guys between realities, um, Upload VR, everybody, you know, the Bettys. I love Betty, of course. Um, it's, oh. it's just it's um, very comforting because at least when you go to these events, you know, you know you'll know someone. So worst case, if it's like a bunch of people in suits and it's kind of like icky and financial or whatever, you're like, okay, I know, I know who I can, <laughs> who I can drift over to. <laughs> it's always nice. It's it's very very welcoming. It makes me so uh, happy. And that, yeah, exactly. I, it, it's uh... <laughs> yeah, I loved the the photos that um, uh, were taken of the three of us together. I think it was the only couple of photos, but it looks so <laughs> okay. chaotic and like it looks like a drunken blurry bar photo and then your face pretty much what it was was. like yeah yeah it's pretty much uh, pretty much what it was we went to dna lounge and it was the weirdest party i think i've ever been to because they had demo stations for vr live dj you could buy pizza that was made in an (laughs) oven it was like and there was loud music everywhere um it was it was insane. It was really just kind of an insane party, um, and that was the one. Yeah, where we got our our blurry three way photo. Uh, but it's good. <laughs> we can't we can't go too can't go too uh, uh, too high quality because we need Rowdy for that. You know, we need yes. to get his his beard in in high definition one of these times <laughs> with the four of us together in the same place. Do a live podcast. Uh, that kind of thing would be super fun. So, so that's the people side of GDC. Um, Thank you for everyone in chat who uh, came by, you know, gave a hug and all. I don't think I've been hugged that many times in that short of space ever in my life. <laughs> and I run on hugs. So, like, it, that was so, so nice. Um, it was just like, it, it really, really did feel like um, like a family reunion uh, to some extent. And this is the first time since maybe 2018, 2017, since it really felt like the community part was more than the corporate or the 
you know, they're spending money to advertise whatever products and things. And it just felt like it was overwhelmed by the people. And I love that. That was mm-hmm. a really good feeling. Um, <laughs> So with that, let's let, let's transition a little bit into maybe the software side. I mean, there's um th- there was a lot on the show floor. It was the GDC is kind of a bit split between some underground like uh, levels, and then you've got outdoor buildings as well. So uh, you do have to kind of cross the street if you want to get to everything. There's uh, panels, and it, there's way too much to go on than you could digest as an individual human being. Um, and so it was uh, my first GDC. I had not been to these before. It was it was packed. There were loads of people everywhere. Um, but I would say that for me, in terms of the VR events and things that, that were on, on the show uh, floor, I mean, having to try, uh, for example, like Pico and stuff like that, that's like on the hardware side, I'll get into that. Software side, there was one gem uh, that I wanted to call out, which at the moment is a location-based experience. It isn't for consumers yet, but they're targeting it. And it was, it was, it was kind of a weird demo. It was three Quest Pros in a booth uh, from these guys called... Eggscape, and um, it was a multiplayer experience, very much like a Lucky's Tale or a Super Mario platformer-style game, but they had a physical diorama with some of the cutest, most, like, artsy little, like, egg-shaped caricatures (laughs) in these arenas, like a wrestling ring or an airport or something like that, and it said Eggscape with all the big letters around the way. Rowdy might have a photo of it to show, and... What happens is your Quest Pro overlays the diorama with your actual characters, and then you're networked to the other headsets, and you're playing a multiplayer experience. And in the middle of this, so you, you're these little eggs, and you, you can put a punch up, you can twirl kind of like Link in Zelda. Um, and so you're collecting coins and gems and stuff like this. It's kind of like a classic platformer and beating up some bad guys, getting points and things. And the three of you are working together for kind of a collective score. And then as as you spend like 60 seconds on a level it moves to the next level and it was a very it wasn't just a simple platform to platform game the elements in the game really expanded to the point where it like blew your mind like i told jose you got to go do this and he came back and he's like dude that is the best of show is this on the and expo floor because i must have missed this <coughs> one i was in a different building it was a few booths away from where resolution games was showing oh, I so it was an easy to miss showcase because it didn't look like a VR showcase, and um, it was it was just fantastic. Sorry if I didn't give 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 you that tip uh, on the show floor, Adam. I think Rude. I didn't see you for a, for a day <laughs> a day or two, but it was for me game of show for sure. Um, like there was a, a roller coaster sequence where just like we saw in this mixed reality coaster mania thing that we had uh, showing on on quest recently, like this coaster went along, you jumped your little egg guy into a cart and then it just took off down the track, did a loop. And then you ended up like fighting a big boss who was like he was enormous. He was uh, probably the size of the convention hall. And like you were in a little pilotable helicopter with rocket launchers in it uh, and the three egg people are there and there's these it was just so adorable and surprising and it's it's from a studio out of argentina called 3d ar the ar being for argentina i suppose and they've done things like do you remember gloomy eyes uh which was an experience before it was like a short short film um in a real like they had Johnny Depp or somebody uh, cast in it. It was really great. So their animation studio is just fantastic. And the quality of the trailers and the videos that they've seen afterwards, like go check out their website. That's again, 3D AR um, was just fantastic. So Eggscape, 
is the game for me. Zim's game of show, the best thing I saw on the floor. Um, I'd never heard about them before, and I hope that in the next, you know, six, 12 months, uh, they get the money together I, to come to consumer. I, I find that I find that hilarious. Like the best game that he tried. No, it's like the, the the most amazing things. Like, and then oh yeah, I didn't tell you about it, Adam. I know you were there. <laughs> like, you know. I saw it on Twitter after, but it was I, like, this was amazing. <laughs> Check it out. Like, it's the website is here. Like, everything is there. And was on the show floor. Yeah, it was on the show. Oh, I didn't tell you. No. <laughs> Fine. Brilliant. That just means we'll have different <laughs> different picks, I guess, because I don't know. I suppose so. But for me, that was the that was the standout one. I did see Adam. It's so this is the nicest thing about somebody who colors their hair. So easy to spot Adam across <laughs> the floor. It's like, oh, yeah, there, there's Adam, Adam demoing this or that or whatever. So, Adam, what about you from the software side? You probably got a chance to demo more than I did as, as I was glued to the booth. Uh, quite a lot of the show. Um, what what stood out for you? You don't have to just pick one. But what, what was your uh, what were your favorites? I'll go over four. Um, I'll probably save my favorite one for last, but I did, this one's not new by any means, but I did get to try out Breachers for the first time at the Unity oh. booth, which was really cool. Um, I think the only problem I had was they, you know, you can't do, unless they had a bunch of developers around, they had to kind of put me in the live game. So it was just sort of chaotic because you're never going to know what what's going to happen, who you're going to be put with. I don't, I wasn't even sure if my microphone was on and it's like, should I also be talking to them? Is the guy with me thinking I'm going to be talking to him? So there was a confusion in that, but the game itself, I really enjoyed. And I'm, cause like, I'm kind of picky about my shooters and I can appreciate it more mm. when it's team-based than like a death match or, you know, so mm. I'm like, Ooh, okay, this one, I, can, I really liked the, the grappling and there were just some unintentionally chaotic moments, at least in my playthrough. I didn't, I didn't play for it too long because, again, I, th I feel like I would have enjoyed it if I was at home in my own, you know, comfortable headset. But um, I was finally glad that I got to play it. And actually, they I don't know if they announced it at GDC or maybe if it was shortly um, earlier. Yeah, in but, parallel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. April 13th, I want to say, is when they're officially going to be coming being released. So that's super exciting. I was yes. like, oh, man. and that is that is such a short fuse between yeah. when they first hit like alpha, you know, that you could actually like try the game out on on app lab and coming to the the actual you know the actual storefront that and so again i'm i'm getting the feeling like meta's paying attention now to indies mm -hmm. a bit more and i'm so glad that they are because breachers deserves to be front and center uh, on the storefront i should get us four together we should yes. play this together because it will it's, it's such a fun game if if there's any game that's close to what firewall brings you breachers um, so I, I didn't even see that on the show floor. Where, where was it? Unity it booth, did you say? In the Unity booth. Um, okay. So yeah, they, cause they had a couple of game demos that were there, kind of like how Meta and Pico just also had game demos, uh, from games on their store there. But, um, yeah. but yeah, that was Breachers. So I was happy that it was interesting that my first time got to be, um, <laughs> in a chaotic expo floor, but I liked what I saw despite, you know, everything going on. Um, I also got cool. to try, uh, this wasn't on the expo floor, but it was in sort of one of those, like we work, you rent a studio, uh, rent a place. It was X eight, uh, which is by third verse, oh. the same company that does uh, Altair breaker. Um, it's sort of like a, a hero shooter. So I got to play, I, I don't know any of the characters names yet, but I got to try out a class that has a, like a giant shield that you can use, um, either, you know, portable or, um, there's like ultimates and sort of abilities that each class has as well. So like for her, she could actually make a barrier uh, in front of you to to block enemy fire. But it's really interesting. They sounded like it, it kind of <clears throat> takes place inside a computer. And so each map will kind of have uh, sort of like an homage to different 
uh, games that we know. Because I mentioned Unreal Tournament uh, 2004 kind of reminded me of that. And he said, yeah, a lot of the you know, inspiration sort of came from that, too. But it was it's really interesting. It's still I think they have a beta going on the 27th closed beta. If, I think if you join their discord, the 27th for maybe the fourth or the third or something. So limited time. Mm. But I'd recommend you check it out. I, I would have I would like to try more of the other classes. But um, I, I enjoyed it. It was, was interesting. X, X8? X8, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was a cool one that I got to try. And I got to, I ran into Hey Falcon for the first time there. And then I got to re-meet Ashley Wright. It was just a weird conglomeration of like, we came for this game, but we ended up just staying and probably taking up more of their space because we ended up just chatting and doing other things. But um, the other one that I got to try was Galaxy Kart VR. They were on the show floor. Oh. That one's... Um, basically Mario Kart, but for VR. Um, I didn't, they had the Quest version, I believe, is what I was playing on the show floor. So I think they just released for PSVR 2. And I think Quest and Steam's coming later. Really? Wow. I've not heard of this at all. Uh, Yeah, I hadn't either. It's by um, VR Monkeys. So they did, it's the same publishing group behind like Tarzan VR. Um, Oh, no. There's a couple, yeah. There's a couple. <laughs> Ouch. It, it's, it's, um, like, there's not a lot of Mario Kart. I mean, there was, like, touring no. carts. That's the only one I can remember. So this is yeah. maybe, like, a second go at this sort of a genre, which I think is fun. Um, I personally, I don't get motion sickness a lot, but I think some of the people mm. that had demoed it, it was a little rough for them. Um, but, I mean, it was cute. Again, I, this was the Quest version. I, I guess I'd heard that... The, the maybe the PSVR two version that came out is a little rough, so maybe we'll have to see if uh, <laughs> patches and stuff come out. But they was, yeah, the build I, I, that I, they showed me that was working was was fine. Yeah, Seems that, like I, like what I see online that the the frame rate is a little bit low, or is yeah, that maybe the, the I recordings? The, I think it's the trailer because um, I was trying to find a there was another trailer I found that was 720p and I was like, no, why, why don't you have a 1080p of your trailer on your your YouTube? Like who does? that so i think it's just their their video quality um you know i did offer them a card that lived as trailers <laughs> but <laughs> you know gotta do nice. some networking while you're there but yeah so that yeah, was like, an interesting one i mean those 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 card games um i don't know that i've ever experienced one that's that's like comfortable for a long time i mean the worst one by far is not a dedicated card game but it's just bone lab bone labs cart section is such a stomach churner. It, it's, it's incredible. I mean, like within 20 seconds, you're like, oh, oh God, I need a bin. Um, but there were a few, yeah, uh, the Carts one, there was a mini car game. I can't remember the name. And there've been a few car games like like that on Quest that did pretty well. But yeah, it's it's a challenging thing to simulate um, mm-hmm. for some reason. Like um, even I remember go-karts in, oh, there was an old Project Cars 2, I think. Um Again, it's not the most comfortable experience. So it's strange, but uh, for some reason, little carts going around tracks can be a bit of a bit of a tummy rumbler. I mean, but, I'm not. Um, I'm not much. I've never been much of a feels- like Mario Kart person, but I thought that if you really like this type of genre, I feel like it. It kind of makes sense. There would be a version for it for VR. So it just it wasn't my thing, yeah. just because of the style of game that it is. Like even in flat screen, I'm just like, eh. But if you really do have like you, the have game, you done the, hmm? have you done the official Mario Kart one? No, that's the, the one, one where you've where got like person, you've got right? the Vive tracker and then you've got a shell and all this kind of stuff. I think it's only at arcades at the moment, but I thought that they were tampering with the idea of maybe bringing it to consumers. Um, and that's something that I remember Mike really liked. That was available in London and I think 
somewhere in California. That's why I was curious Ooh. if you'd done it. But um, look it up, because if you like this, then that might be something worth doing at some point. Yeah. And yeah. then I'll, I'll finish off with my favorite one, which is uh, it was called Dance Dash. And it, it's sort of niche because you do need trackers for this. But I guess as someone who has bought those expensive trackers and want more use for them, like this is great because it's kind of like I don't want to say it's DDR like, but pretty much it uses the trackers so that you can be able to stomp on colored blocks, uh, rhythm game based. Um, but I don't know. I, <laughs> I, had I just saw you it. jump into the air. It was amazing. Well, because they have not only is it uh, do you have, you know, the colored blocks to stomp on? I, I think like left foot's red, right's blue, something like that. So you, it's color coordinated that way. But you also have like barriers that you need to either go side to side or jump over you know stuff that if you've played any other rhythm game you'd understand it like hmm. intuitively and they do have um like hand what you call it i guess slapping motions as well but i i don't know i i thought like my only problem is that they have to they're trying to launch their kickstarter still so they're very very early stages but i mean they have uh you can import any avatar that you'd like into the game. It sounds like they're going to have a lot of uh, good spectator experiences. But but I'm like, oh, man, I thought this was like further along than I hoped because it's always kind of risky. Uh, you know, I feel like when it comes to the like the Kickstarter stuff. But I like the idea because I, I know there's VR chats kind of maps and worlds that maybe kind of do DDR. But it would have it would be nice to have something like this. that's like its own standalone thing. So we'll see. I, I really liked it, but. And they do come with uh, the the straps as well. They make their own custom straps that would that you could put the trackers on. So I believe it'd kind what? of be like We Fit, you know, where they have all of the stuff that you would need packaged with the game. I believe I don't know if the trackers would be included in that too. That'd be like hmm. at least three hundred dollars alone then, if that was the case. But uh, but yeah, we'll see. I, I liked it, but I like. And was that leveraging stuff. Vibes Vibes trackers? Or yeah, they were using not not else? the new new ones that were just released, but yeah, they the were using the, the black ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. cool and see that's one that um i think eric had told me to go and do but i didn't i just didn't get the time uh it looks like fun though so as somebody who dance. was <laughs> I, hey hey hey! i bought an xbox 360 for connect and dance central and dance central 2 and i've beaten most of those songs so it's nothing about <laughs> not dancing honey all right um i'm happy put to your left foot in put your left foot <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Um, so that's that's the software side. Chat, let us know if uh, any of you were there and really enjoyed something that we didn't call out. Please, uh, please uh, call it out. That's fine. And in the hardware side, um, man, I got to try a bunch of stuff because I've kind of been off conventions show floor. If I don't own it, then, well, I guess I haven't tried it, um, at least not a lot of it. So um, I got to try Quest Pro, HTC Vive, XR Elite, Pimax Portal, didn't get a chance on the crystal, but Jose seemed to like that quite a bit. Uh, and the Be Haptics Fest, which was a new experience for me and as someone who likes tactile, really enjoyed. So I'll just run through my thoughts about that. And then any hardware, Adam, that you got hands on with other than uh, what you just talked about? Nothing new. You know, I I know Peak was there and I kind of wanted to try it, but it was like, why? Like, OK, what if I like it? What can I do about it? Nothing. So I didn't want to be <laughs> sad as I was like, eh, I yeah, either the stuff that was there I had already tried before or I can't buy, so why bother? 
<laughs> oh, that's why you'd be sad. You're right. Yeah. So there's some interesting news. Uh, I've seen this in the press. I didn't want to allude too much on it. But um, the fact that there was the delay I saw, I think it was upload and road to VR cover that um, Pico have delayed their kind of North American releases of their products. So um be interesting to see how how that goes and whether or not, for example, if TikTok gets you know banned in North America, or the U.S. or whatever the case happens. So there's some interesting kind of you know Asian versus North American uh, sales uh, things going on. Keep an eye on that. Uh, but I'll just tell you kind of my initial impressions of this hardware. So Quest Pro, first off, um, the fact that so coming from PSVR two and having my head in that first, uh, which has a very like. The immersive nature of PSVR 2 is on the complete opposite spec of the spectrum um, to Quest Pro. Because Quest Pro is like, hey, if you don't have the facial gasket in, you see quite a lot of your surroundings, and then you see the lenses. And um, you can't adjust the position of the lenses to your face. Uh, for those who haven't seen the news recently or listened to the last podcast price of this headset has dropped from $1,500 down to $1,000. So Meta are trying to, you know, sell to a few people more. And certainly the people who I spoke to, a lot of them developers, uh, that was enough for them to take the bite and go buy one of these headsets. Um, it does feel quite like a robust headset. It's balanced well on the head. It's got a nice big forehead cushion or whatever, which I thought was was pretty decent. But I didn't like the fixed scope, the fact that you couldn't bring the, the lenses in closer to your eyes. Uh, the lenses were good. I'll say the color pass-through was a bit of a disappointment. Like, I think you're expecting kind of full resolution, and we're just not there yet. Mm. Um, there is still some distortion in that space, although it's not as like, Rowdy, when you and I got, you know, heads onto the first quest, and distortion was kind of crazy, and you could, like, trip and put your face into something if you weren't careful. It's not like that. Um, the software that does the blending from Meta uh, worked pretty well. And of course, what we were showing at the on the showroom floor with Quest Pros was um, uh, was spatial ops. So it worked very well for that. And the detail through the lens, like the clarity of the lens, is very high. Um, so that part I liked about the headset. But I would say sitting for where I'm standing, I wouldn't pay a thousand bucks for that. I'd still stick with my Quest 2. Um, wow. 100%, definitely. And, and I'm so glad I didn't spend 1500 because I almost did. You know, it's one <laughs> of those things. Um <laughs> Adam's very caught and hot and cold this podcast blinking in and out of existence. She's phasing, that's it. She's coming from this plane of existence to another one and coming back. <laughs> then I had a chance at the party um at one of the parties uh, to try the Vive XR Elite, which I think is really cool cuz it's got like this uh steampunk style feeling to them. Very balanced on the head, probably more so than anything else. The fact that it's also modular, you can disconnect it, you know, tether to a PC is really neat. I just tried um, open brush, I think tilt brush essentially, and it was fine. Um, I would say their pass-through wasn't very impressive, um, but I like the form factor of the headset a lot. So I'd like to get more time with that than where where I tried it was Again, kind of a almost a dance floor setting, so it's not fair for me to say liked or didn't like. They were showing off, however, a uh, a kind of a special add-on to the headset, which you can buy separately as an accessory, which is like a, a head pad, very small compared to what the uh, Quest Pro has. So it was probably only like the length of a stick of gum, uh, bent like a caterpillar, and it would hold the thing the, the you know off of your face, so you didn't have wow. any anything touching your face at all. Um, that made it very comfortable. And actually, it's funny because it kind of feels like the kind of thing that should be in the box for uh, for that unit. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, but that's the HTC Vive XR Elite. 
I always get the name confused. Uh, it's either Elite XR, XR Elite, you know. Uh, so they've got because a couple they, of... They have such an easy naming structure as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope that we can get back to adopting, you know, like a single name for a product. I would like that. Yeah. Um, then I got to meet uh, the Pimax team and uh, got to play with Pimax Portal, which is their Switch Lite console. Right. It was really weird because I picked the thing up uh, and it was like a smaller version of a Nintendo Switch. Felt really good in the hand. And I'll, I'll have you know, I'm coming into this being very suspicious about everything Pimax, right? And I was like, okay, I'm not expecting anything. Uh, I picked it up and first off the screen, which was, I think it was a, was it mini LED panel or it wasn't OLED, but it was, I think a mini, mini LED. The black levels and all that were really good. The colors were good. The resolution was really good. Um, and I'm talking about it like when, when it was a handheld, a game, uh, you know, and I was playing Dead Cells on it and I was like, you know what? I would play this as this kind of handheld. Um, the controllers don't slide off. They like, they oh. pull off, but the they're, they're only held on by magnets. And I thought, no feckin' way. No feckin' way a magnet-only controller would snap in and stay there. But they are heavy-ass magnets. Yeah, like so I don't think you want to get this thing... Between the, you uh... wouldn't want to get this thing to your laptop <laughs> or a hard drive or something, because it'll it'll probably wipe it. It is very powerful. Or, yeah, don't, don't get your fingers stuck in there. They clank in there, like they snap in with some serious force in that I thought I was going to break the thing, trying to take them apart. But it's a very smart solution, I thought. And then I tried it in the, almost like the uh, uh, Google Cardboard-esque um, holder, right? As a VR experience. And it worked. I wouldn't say it was even as good as like Oculus Go level visuals. Um, it is not something I would comfortably play for a time. But if you were going to be demonstrating to, you know, you were showcasing something at a, like an architecture firm for five to 10 minutes or something, it would be totally fine. So as a headset that has that modular capability, kind of a cool product. Um, I liked it in person a lot more than I thought I would. And then Crystal, I saw the exterior, but there was a queue for it and I didn't have time. So I didn't try the Crystal yet. But that thing just looks, it looks like a monster is eating your head. I, it's its giant. Did you try any of these things, Adam? You tried the Pro before I take well, it. Well, I'm, I'm um, glad. Yeah, the the Pro. Uh, the the pro. Uh, pro, I had tried a couple times with other like game demos, but I'm I'm happy to hear that you actually got attention at the Pimax booth. But I, <laughs> I will say that it was they had a definitely a smaller booth than they had at CES. This was like tiny booth, your standard kind of indie size. So maybe that's why they just had fewer staff, so you could actually get individual attention. I'm still kind of salty about that at CES, just like having the headset on. Like where's okay, where's the controllers? I have a headset on, and then you know I play for a little bit. Take the headset off. It's a completely different guy. Puts the controllers in the wrong hands. Couldn't answer any of my questions about like FOV and all that. But and I know there were volunteers, but I feel like they should have been versed in the product Informed. at least. Like you know yeah. they're representing a company, so you should at least be like courteous and know the products. I don't know. This is a couple of minimums. Yeah. I feel it, like it, it, the thing is, it can't it can't happen in any booth. Um, I did find them a little disorganized. There was no obvious queue, but people were trying to queue to to grab the the Pimax crystal. I did get to meet the, um, I forget his name. Apologies. Um, the uh, car sales guy. <laughs> so I got to meet him in person. He's, he's just like in the I trailers. Immediately know, I immediately know who you mean. Yep. Like immediately. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, Jose had told me on the, on the show floor, he was quite impressed with the crystal. So let's, we'll save uh, his impressions, uh, for, for next time. Um, but it, it was good to finally get to meet Pimax people in person because we I didn't see him on my European tenure. 
uh, at all. And then the final thing that I got to try hardware-wise for the first time, and I know this is a long time coming, uh, was the B Haptics vest. And Yay. I tried their hand tracking demonstration and everything right. as well. So that the my immediate thought as a guy who likes haptics was, oh wow, this is like a massage parlor experience. Like <laughs> they had the demo where you can just like vibrate your body in different ways. And I was like, yeah, I, I would like this just after a day of work. Like it feels it feels bloody good. <laughs> um, but some of the things that like surprised me were the 3D nature of the haptics, in that. You can get shot with a sniper rifle and you feel it going in the front and coming out the back. Um, and I I didn't I don't have that with any other um, any other haptic experience that I've had so far. Uh, I've had rumbles on the front and back before, like the puck. Uh, I'm forgetting Wooger, for <laughs> example, has a puck in the front, puck in the back. But there isn't any spatial element. It's just you're feeling the same thing front and back. This was like a transmission a transmissional, that's not a word, transmissional experience of what I was feeling front to back and then getting electrified, uh, feeling the kind of thing tickle you front and back. It just, it was good. It was really good. I liked, mm. I liked it. It's quite a lot of equipment though. Getting a lot of batteries. With a rifle, we getting electrified. To, yeah. It was really good. We got to get so you to fun. do the uh, woo or oh, whoa, I still don't know how to pronounce it. Vest with the, oh, the electric oh, shocks. Yeah. I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. <laughs> I know we we don't people don't talk about it in public a lot, but I know a guy like, yeah, who was uh, shocked to the floor because of a you know bad experience in that. And I I still think that when you're dealing with, uh, in particular, electric impulses in the human body, you got to be really careful with your engineering. So I tend to shy away from that stuff on showroom floors because it's like, you can test that on somebody else. I'll be ready <laughs> once it's certified. You know, I'll, I'll put my body in it then. Um, just because you, you never know, you know. I, I think it's it's only a matter of time before somebody shocks someone's heart, and you know, someone well, someone's dead at a showroom floor. I think it's going to happen one like, of these days. The where you have the electrodes have to be in the right spots. You can't just like willy nilly put it on like a jacket. You gotta like make sure these are in the right no. spots. As a as a woman, interestingly enough, if you're wearing, you know, like a bra, you you have to. They disabled parts of it on the back because. Um, if you were feeling it oh. in some parts of the body and not others, like it's not good. They didn't explain it. And I was like, okay, I just, <laughs> I'll trust you guys to do something safe. So there's a lot of little things about it that I'm like, Ooh, like I'm not the most careful person, but I imagine something like this, I'd be careful putting on. But again, there are way worse people than me. who are just like, yeah, just put this thing on and whatever. It's kind of the yeah. electrodes are folded over, but whatever, it'll be fine. And I'm like, Oh man, I can only imagine like, what, do, you, do you have any idea on the, on the voltages or the amperes that they're using for these kind of batteries? Not the numbers, but they do have like, you can adjust it yourself. They have like a variance level, but it was only on a, like, like a normal scale of like a one to 10. They didn't have the, I, it's probably the information's probably somewhere, but I don't know the actual like voltage or anything. Well, what was that like for you? Was it something that was compelling or uh, I mean, did you find this was from CES, right? Yeah, Your experience or CES or one of those other, they've been at a couple, but it's, I mean, it's interesting. Cause when I, tr it's, it's a very good motivator to not get shot by things. Uh, I didn't have them crank it up all the way on me, but it kind of just felt like, um, at least for the, bicep ones like someone snapping a rubber band on your arm constantly um they can simulate different things with it too sort of like a stab wound versus um i don't know <laughs> getting shot like the you there were definite differences and your body oh does God. like yeah it has it tenses up because that's what it's doing you know it's, it's making you do that but it's just weird how they're able to make it feel like different things so it was interesting but it's not something that i would buy and and yeah again something that i 
you have to be really careful with if you were to buy one of these, I think. Like, it's got to be for the right kind of person. I would say not not casual, like not just your normal quest kid. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean... I mean, we've joked for years about there was this UK product um, uh, or t- TV show that they were they had a fake product called the Azana Band, which would bring pain and pleasure. And it was this band around here. Uh, and I used to pain joke. Pain and pleasure. I, I, I like <laughs> people do different I, things, you know, I, 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 I like I, I still kind of want to experience something like that and see if it would be <laughs> would it be too much? Would it be nice? I mean, I don't know. It's like when pain comes into a game, like when you're getting shot, I'm going to be wincing and screaming like a five-year-old girl. I mean, I do that already, but, um, you know. Zim's bedroom it... fantasies. <laughs> <laughs> you often play VR in the bed, no, when you're laying down. That's, uh, okay, hang on. I heard a I heard a bar side uh, story from Thrill and Fia, how they like using their VR headsets in bed. Um, and there was, they were like playing Demio or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Like, sure, yeah, mm-hmm. kinky bedroom stuff. Yeah, that's it. But uh, no, it's, it's good fun. It's good fun. So there was plenty of hardware on the show floor, um, as you would expect. The thing that was nice about CES, not long queue times generally, which was was nice to have. Um, the last thing I'll, I'll kind of cover off then, unless you had any other hardware, Adam. Uh, to talk about? Not particularly. I do no. kind of regret that I didn't try the Nreal glasses, but they just weren't, I don't know. Um, it's oh, just, they were there. Yeah, Shit. they were, but it was, uh, I don't know. I think I need the something air, more. air, right? Nreal air? Yeah, because they had like, um, basically you could see a screen from a different monitor onto the glasses. So it wasn't like interesting enough for me to like try to get in line for, I had, you know, other stuff. Like I wanted to try a bunch of the games, but I do. Oh man! I wish I tried it. I'd be the opposite. I wish you told me about that one because it's like now. it's the same price as a headset, but um, the reason I find that really attractive is its small form factor. It's literally like a pair of glasses with a cable, mm-hmm, and true. you can cable it to like your um, your laptop or even a phone, and then you know you could watch a, a video or something like that. So you're like sitting on a plane. And you're laughing because it's like you're in a cinema. Um, and I've heard some people use it very effectively, for example, who are laid up in hospital or something like that. So for me, one of the things that I always is a push and pull experience for me is I'm going to go board a plane. I want to entertain myself, right? I don't necessarily want to sleep on the plane, although you probably should. Um, and, it, and, and that headset is like, it's just a little too expensive. But man, if I could get the PSVR 2 um, cinematic mode on a plane without that bulk, Hell yeah, I want that uh, because it's it's so cool for travel. But um, yeah, I, I missed that. Where was that on the show floor? Um, they had a pretty deep. I think they were shelved in with like the Pico Meta. I think they were over on that side. Okay. But God, they had, how did I miss them? Was, they were a bright green and black booth. I could be wrong with where they were, but it was a pretty big, pretty bright booth. <laughs> this is this is it though. See, like there, there was a lot going on 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 the show floor. I mean, missing stuff was easy. I, I I went around the show floor probably four times and still was picking up new things. I like how they had it segmented by country. So my French devs, my Belgian devs, were all in the same kind of spot. It was funny they segmented it. And I was like, I don't know, this is kosher or is this <laughs> like because uh, Canada was all the way down the back and it was empty. Canada there was no one there. Sad. It was funny. I was like, is this it just was so for, like sad. meetings? Because I don't. They weren't really showing anything. It was more just like cubicle boxes that they had empty cubicle boxes i don't know what was going on it was something (laughs) wrong there maybe they didn't ship in enough canadian devs or maybe there's a beef or something (laughs) but uh 
Yeah, Canada didn't look well represented on the showroom floor, but everyone else did. They had Spain, Portugal, all this kind of stuff. It was super cool. Um, so the last thing I think to touch on about GDC then is, well, the part that I thought was the best is really just like the parties. Uh, so Adam and I, um, being party goers, uh, hopped to a bunch of these things. Uh, I'm, I'm, I I'm joked at the intro, but Adam did a great job of being like, yeah, go to this party. This one, not so much. I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> I thought that was really, really handy. Um, the main one for me was uh, there on the Thursday, uh, like Adam said, was a bit mad. It was in this great like arcade location spot, multi-floor, called the Emporium in San Francisco. And to me, it was a complete family reunion. Like we, <laughs> I don't know that I've had um, ever as good such a colorful meetup. I mean, like it was like every, it felt like everybody's here. That's what it felt like. And uh, old and new faces uh, got to meet so many like developers, content creators, uh, you know, studio leads, all that kind of stuff. People from various manufacturers. Um, but it was just a great feeling. It was hugs all around. Um, it was one of those events where it's like, you know, some free drinks, free uh, arcade tokens to go on the machines. And there were even, you know, it was a quest demo, pool table, foosball, all this kind of stuff. It was great. It was fantastic. I don't normally say it, say it and I don't usually buy into like fear of missing out stuff. But this one was a brilliant party. Um, so that made it feel... Uh, very much like a welcome back from lockdown for me personally, uh, which has been much needed. And I'm glad to be back on the kind of circuit. I know, Adam, you and Jose, you've been hitting so many of these <laughs> events. It was my first time back since uh, kind of lockdown in, in, in a proper way. And it has uh, it was really a warm welcome back. Uh, and it's like, yes, the world is healing. Like we're back together again and can be a nice big nerd family all over again. Um, so that was uh, that was put on, I should say, that was the SVVR uh, uh, VIP XR mixer. Uh, so it was a, it was a good one. <laughs> it was crazy. You went to a lot more parties and had a very colorful series of wristbands like uh, Rainbow Road, Adam. Anything five. else you want to call out that was good fun? Um, but I think I think you pretty much nailed it. It's, that's one of the parts that keeps me going back to a lot of these events is like, um, yeah, the, the expo hall and getting to see developers at their booths and stuff is nice. But then when you get to see them after their booths and, you know, all of the friends that you've made, it's, it's so much fun. I, I will say that one of my guilty pleasures is getting to see someone maybe having a little too much, a little too fun. And then you get to see them the day after at their booth and they, they're suddenly calm and collected and professional and just trying to keep it all together. Like, I, I don't know why that cracks me up because after seeing like party them versus like serious business them, it's such a great contrast and I love it. And like, not to make fun of them at all because like I'm sure I'm 100% the same way, but I don't know. I always like, like oh yeah, I remember you. You're, <laughs> you, you had a lot yesterday. You did drunk guy. Yeah, but now look at you doing demos. <laughs> <laughs> it's so that could be a, a that could be a bit of a rough one man i lost my voice the first day i still haven't gotten it back mm-hmm. um but it's just like talking to that many people on the show floor is uh it's good fun it's good fun so that was gdc um if you didn't get a chance to ever go to gdc uh it is one i would recommend you make time for uh if you if you find your way to wiggle into one of those or support a dev team or something uh very very cool event i will definitely be looking forward to doing that again maybe next year um so that was gdc and uh today we have a special topic to discuss, uh, which is chat GPT-4, the latest version of one of the most advanced language models in the world. But before we dive into the topic, I asked chat GPT to write us a little intro. So here we go. Let's address the elephant in the room. Uh, Why is it called GPT? Well, 
You might be surprised to learn that GPT doesn't stand for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. No, my friends. GPT stands for Genuine Prime Turkey. I know what you're thinking. What does a turkey have to do with language modeling? But bear with me, and let's go on a whimsical journey. Imagine a turkey that can generate speech and text like a human. That's what GPT is all about, creating a language model that can understand and generate human-like language. Uh, so let's dive into the world of ChatGPT and explore how this turkey-turned-language model is revolutionizing the way we communicate and interact with technology. And for that, over to Rowdy. Wow, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, I'm kind of wondering what the prompt is that you yeah. gave in order like, to get that kind of output. But, That's a okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I made a little presentation, uh, nothing too fancy because I know we have a lot of audio listeners as well. Uh, so I'm just going to be going over a few things. So uh, like this is this is my title slide. It says ChatGPT by ChatGPT because I use ChatGPT to make this presentation. Oh, Sweet. Cool. So <laughs> the first thing I did was I, you know, when, when we start talking about ChatGPT, like I had the same ideas with Zim had, only I just asked ChatGPT, what is ChatGPT? And you can see in the top that I use GPT-4 in order to get from it. And it gets a fairly accurate description. It says uh, ChatGPT is a large-scale uh, AI language model developed by OpenAI. It is based on the generative pre-trained transformers, so not turkeys, um, architecture, which is designed to understand and to generate human-like text based on the input it receives. GPT models are trained on vast amounts of textual data from the internet, allowing them to process a wide range of knowledge on various topics up to the model's knowledge cutoff date. ChatGPT can be used for a variety of tasks, such as answering questions, providing information, generating creative content, and engaging in conversations uh, with users. So it is a helpful tool for various applications, but it is important to remember that it is uh, not perfect and may sometimes produce incorrect uh, or nonsensical answers, which makes oh. this entire definition therefore useless. No, <laughs> I'm joking. It's, it's, it's a fairly accurate description of, I think, what, what ChatGPT is. It's indeed, it's a model developed by a company called OpenAI, which we know from other uh, AI tools such as DALI, uh, Whisper AI is another one. Uh, and they're a fairly new company that have been like, you know, making ripples specifically with ChatGPT and trying to like, you know, bring this. I, I think that the biggest accomplishment from OpenAI is the way that they have managed to bring this to a larger audience because of course this is, this is ChatGPT. you know it's not the first gpt model there's already three of them now there's four of them which we're going to touch on a little bit later um but I, I think they have two big accomplishments and that is indeed like you know bringing it over to a more general user like you know your mom and dad can now use ChatGPT or can use a, a a generative pre-trained model in a browser format. And the second thing, which I'm going to touch on a couple of times, but I'm not going to go too deep into that, is uh, the concept of AI alignment. Uh, I mean, th basically, this, this comes down to having uh, an artificial model aligned with... Um, the, the way that the user or, or, the, or the creator intended it to be used. Uh, so you typically want to avoid AI models turning into neo-Nazis or like trying to kill the 
the entirety of the human race because that's not really what alignment is with the original creator of that model. Uh, So that is something that I think ChatGPT has done really well, uh, that they've, you know, kind of put brakes on on the default model of of ChatGPT. Of course, there are things that you can try and do to circumvent that. But overall, I think think they've done a great job of that. So I try to get uh, my job done a little bit quicker. Um, there are limitations, of course, to ChatGPT. I asked it to uh, try and make me a PowerPoint presentation on ChatGPT, but it said, as an AI model, unfortunately, I am unable to create PowerPoints directly. Uh, however, it could like provide like a suggested outline, but that was boring. So I thought I'm not going to go with that way. Uh, however, uh, you know, because of how popular ChatGPT became and to extension large language models in general. Uh, If you go on Google, there's already a number of tools that are like either using ChatGPT or using GPT-4, I should say, or GPT-3 or different large language models that allow you to already start creating these kind of uh, PowerPoint presentations. And even uh, ChatGPT themselves, um, for very good reasons, because we're going to touch a little bit on their bu- on their business model as well, uh, is starting to look into more plugins. Uh, they now have a, a browser plugin that they're working on, and also a code interpreter plugin that they're working on as well, in order to like make more tools and applications accessible. Uh, I know that GitHub has a few applications in the running as well in collaboration with ChatGPT. So it, it is more of like that they're trying to integrate this kind of technique or this kind of uh, technology in in new applications, which I think is great. So what is it really? Uh, so first off, I think we need to, you guys can see the slide, right? Because I'm not currently yep. looking at yeah, the screen. Yeah. Okay, yes, great, right. great. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is it really? So uh, ChatGPT is basically a little bit of mix between uh, GPT-3 and GPT-5, uh, GPT-4, uh, and that is developed on GPT-3.5. So it is in general an improved version of GPT-3, um, which means that it was uh, fine-tuned on a previous uh, model, a large language model, and they co- they, that they use a concept called transfer learning, which basically means that the original model, the GPT-3, uh, it's, a, it's a very large algorithm. Uh, it has um, 175 billion parameters, which requires 800 gigabytes of storage uh, in order to produce a 2048 token long context format. So it's, it's, it's enormous. And all of those parameters have certain weights associated to what, them. And it's those weights... What was that, weights, that you just said? 2,000 two something token? What was... What was sorry, I- I'm yeah, trying to parse everything token. you're saying. And, so yeah. the, the tokens are basically either words or segments of words or letters uh, that are being used in order to, as input or as output of the model. So when you interact okay. with the API from GPT, uh, you purchase tokens. So you pay per token that you actually produce. Uh, and there's limitations to how much tokens you can uh, use uh, as an output and there's limits to how much tokens you can input as a model. Hmm. Uh, and that's where GPT-4 really like like starts changing changing things because um, they, they allow for much larger input, they have uh, much larger output as well. So there, there's like some difference into, into that. Also GPT-4 in the chat model is a little bit different from how it is, how you interact with the API. Um, so GPT-4, GPT-3 is uh, originally, uh, ChatGPT is originally um, 
derived basically from GPT-3. A bioconcept use uh, transfer learning where they use fine-tuning in order to fine-tune it to new or specific kind of data that was used in order to train it into more of a, of a chat model. And the kind of training that they did here was, was twofold. So they used supervised learning and they used reinforcement learning based on human feedback. Uh, so both of these require humans in order to either label data in the case of supervised learning where uh, the labeling is sort of conversations where the human is both the uh, AI respondent as well as the one who's inputting the data uh, so that the, the model can train on that. And then you have reinforcement learning from human feedback. So reinforcement learning works here with a reward model where the model will generate different kind of inputs and then the human will actually reward the model based on based on that feedback that it receives uh, by ranking that in a specific order. And that is when we come back again to that concept of AI alignment a little bit because a human is going to uh, reward uh, uh, answers uh, that are more in line with what the human think is correct, uh, more peaceful, uh, more, uh, you know, less aggressive, uh, avoid killing every human on the planet, you know, so it's like a dog of, trainer, basically. You yeah, kinda, exactly. Yeah, it's like okay. it's like a reinforcement learning that is being done. And that is how that model is trained. And then uh, the final step, I didn't highlight it here, but then you have uh, like a lot of reward models where the model then is trained on again in order to uh, really integrate those kind of concepts. And this was all done on a single system. It was a supercomputer that was developed for OpenAI by NVIDIA, consisting out of 285,000 CPU cores, 10,000 GPUs and 400 gigabytes per second of network connectivity for each <laughs> GPU server. So, I mean, it's, wow. it's massive. It's massive. But I know, I know that you're all wondering, can it actually run Crisis? It's <laughs> a very important question. It's a very important question. And the answer is, of course, no. Of course not. The system is not developed for that. So it's kind of like a silly question. Like, pay attention, please. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So then it comes to GPT-4, uh, and that is kind of like the, the new big thing. There's a lot of hype, a lot of expectation around that. And this is basically GPT-4 is the most advanced system producing now safer and also more accurate responses. And for that, I'm going to switch now real quick to the website of uh, GPT-4 so that I can go over a couple of the, of the uh, uh, how's it called, the, uh, the new things that they're developing. Um, so they said on the website, we spent six months making GPT-4 safer and more aligned. So again, there's that concept of alignment. We all know now what that means. So GPT-4 is... Rowdy, this scares the shit out of me, honestly, because when they keep going on about safety, it's like... So this thing is going to go haywire at some point and kill us all, right? <laughs> like, yeah, is, I mean, that's what they're trying to happen. prevent. That's, I mean, yeah. I, I think that the, that the AI alignment problem is... I mean, there's a lot of discussion about this. Uh, uh, although I recently read the LinkedIn post from uh, Yann LeCun, who is a, a very famous um, AI pioneer, basically, who works at Meta, who works on these specific things as well. And mm. he's fairly confident that we're able to to solve the AI alignment problem. There's a lot of people disagreeing with him. But I mean, he is someone who kind of knows what he's talking about. Um, I, 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 like, I, I'm not going to go into it, like I said before, because <laughs> like, it's like it's it's a, it's a very difficult discussion. Um GPT-4 is 82% less likely to respond to requests for disallowed content and 40% more likely to produce factual responses than GPT-3.5 on our internal evaluations. That's, awesome. And that is one of the problems that we see with these kind of language models is that they're so good 
then it's almost impossible to see if they're actually wrong. I spoke with a, with a person from Google at the, at the last conference and he brought up that exact problem is that they, they, had, they have their own language model, which I believe is called Palm, because uh, they announced Matt Palm as well. Uh, oh. And the model was so good that it went through three or four iterations before they realized that it was actually giving wrong information. It went through three or four groups of people before they realized, oh, wait a minute, this is actually what it's saying, it's wrong. Uh, for like a certain presentation part uh, that, that that they were trying to generate with it. Huh. Um, so th- that, that's one of, I think, the most difficult things with using this kind of model is because you can never be entirely sure, at least not yet, um, that is actual factual response or is that something that is automatically generated and looks so good that it's, it, is, <laughs> it is true. Will we solve that? I think so. I think that that is not too big of a deal. Uh, so yeah, that is uh, safety and alignment uh, built with GPT-4. And then uh, let me go a little bit up here. So it's a uh, most uh, advanced system producing safer and more useful responses. And then we go here and this is where it gets a little more interesting. Um, so it can solve difficult problems with greater accuracy thanks to its broader general knowledge and problem solving abilities. And it's important to note that OpenAI has not released, uh, on contrary to what they did with GPT-3, um, what kind of data have they used for this? They have said that it's open source data, that it's not you know, you know, copyrighted data. It is not larger than GPT-3 either. Uh, so it's actually not, um, uh, the, so the model behind the 75 billion parameters. I know there was a little bit of confusion that they were saying, oh, they're gonna use, I don't know, four trillion parameters now or something, but apparently that's not the case. They've actually reduced it in, uh, in, in size a little bit. Uh, so it's, uh, it's more, it, it, it's, more computing heavy. So if you use ChatGPT and you use the GPT-4 model, you see that will take a little bit longer to, uh, to generate content, uh, but that's because the model is a little bit heavier. Um, and and that, that comes back again to what I said, that we're gonna talk about the business model a little bit later, because I think there are some issues with this, uh, with this specific part. Uh, since a lot of what OpenAI does is based on the content that they, the data that they train it on, that's where their, their real money is, is put in. You know, they need to generate that kind of data in order to train these kind of models. And I think that's where a little bit the problem from OpenAI is. And that's also the reason why they're not releasing now which kind of data that they've used, uh, because they're a little bit scared. I think that people will start regenerating that. Uh, so hmm. we see here that it's more creative than ever before. Uh, it ex- explained this, the plot of Cinderella in a sentence where each word has to begin with the next letter in the alphabet from A to Z without repeating any letters, which is a fairly complicated text. And you can see that it, it outputs it very accurately. A beautiful Cinderella dwelling eagerly, finally gains happiness, inspiring jealous skin, love magically, nurtures opulent prince, quietly rescues, slipper triumphs, uniting very wondrously, Senior youth zealously. I mean, it, it is very impressive to see this kind of stuff, you know, like just being generated on the spot. Uh, and then I think the other thing that is very impressive that you see with GPT-4 now, of course, this is not chat GPT yet. We don't see this being used yet. Uh, that will get implemented is that they now also uh, are multimodal, which means that they also can use uh, visual input. So they can accept images as input and generate captions, classifications, analysis. And you can see, for example, in this picture here, it's a picture of eggs, flour, milk, and whatever whatever that thing is, I don't know, yolk, <laughs> yogurt. And uh, they say, uh, as input, what can I make with these kind of ingredients? And then you can see indeed that uh, the output that you get is pancakes oh, wow. or waffles, crepes, French toast, omelets, wow. whatever. So you, that's kind of impressive. And then... 
This is the part where I said about GPT-4 that you can now use a longer context. So it's capable of handling over 25,000 words of text. Uh, that is, I think, almost tenfold more than what you saw with GPT-3. Of course, this is not, again, in the chat GPT, but this is in their open AI, which allows for long-form content creation as well as um, uh, more extended conversations. So here you can see the inputted text from Wikipedia, so a full website, and then they asked, uh, describe Rihanna's Super Bowl performance and what made it special. Uh, and it gives a, a very accurate uh, a presentation of that. Um, and then we see a couple of more things that they highlight here is uh, ChatGPT, advanced reasoning. Uh, we saw that it actually outperformed several of uh, uh, the famous test taking, such as the uniform bar, bar exam. We saw that it reaches the 90th percentile, the biology Olympia, the 99th percentile. Uh, there was GPT-4 with the vision uh, uh, part. So there's a lot of like, um, um, how would I say, like uh, revolutionary concepts going on here. And I think it's the first time that we see white collar jobs that are a little bit more in danger. Uh, yep. I'm thinking of uh, things like, for example, uh, lawyers, um, accountants, tax officials, um, even medical doctors, general practitioners. You know, these kind of things are definitely... Um, are going are gonna to change in the future. I'm not saying that they're going to disappear. Uh, I don't think that that will happen. But uh, I, I think what we'll see is people um, who don't use AI in the future, lawyers who don't use AI, are going to be replaced by lawyers who do use AI mm. uh, just because they'll have better rates, they'll have m more yeah. kind of throughput they can go through. Uh, so I think that th this is the kind of revolution that we're looking at, that white collar workers are going to have to start using AI in order to remain competitive in their own job. There's, uh, there's some inherent danger in um, that uh, generative algorithm, getting something wrong, being used by a sea of people, uh, like, like leaning on that like a crutch, and then there yes. being some landslide problem. It's very similar, in my opinion, to self-driving cars who... 98% or whatever of them, everything goes fine. Yeah. For the one car that drives a family into a barrier and they all die and you go, oh, right, my model wasn't quite perfect. Let's tweak it. Yeah. That's that's what we're going to see crossing a lot of industries um, yes. where, you know, you if you're that 1% that the algorithm doesn't like, I mean, you can find mm -hmm. yourself in a position where it's not a person who's doing something to you, but this algorithm has a blip, has a problem. Yeah. And, and and the problem is actually far deeper than that still because uh, and and that's something that I I talked a lot about at the conference is that that one percent that where the model doesn't work on we've seen time and time again that often those are minority groups and that right. is because exactly. we have bias in data you know all of the data sets that we're using all of the historical data sets they're all biased you know there's not a large representation of minority groups and for example with self-driving cars we've seen that they don't perform as well. Uh, with darker skin tones, which is a, a very big problem. If, for example, 80% of the accidents that you're having are, for example, black people that are getting run over by, by self-driving cars, that is a far Jesus. bigger issue than when you say my model is 99% accurate, you know, as long as you mm -hmm. drive in a white city. You know, exactly. like it's it's not, it's those kind of things are, um, we don't have solutions for that at the moment. I know that Google is putting a lot of work into the diversification of uh, data sets, which I think is a is a right approach, um, yeah. but we're definitely not there. And also another thing with these kind of models, especially these deep learning models, uh, not only the language part, but for example, in law and any kind of jurisdiction, 
banking, you can't just use one of these models that, for example, just gives an output and says, this person will get a loan and this person will not get a loan or this person should go to jail and this person should not get to jail. Even though it sounds really easy, but when a bank still needs to give a reason as to why you are not getting a loan. And a lot of these models are black box models, which work very well, but we don't really understand why or how that they work. So there's a lot of uh, no, model explainability that is going on in order to try and figure out how these models work exactly so that we can use them better and uh, that we can actually get output from them in order to estimate why the model is reacting in that way, which is there's a lot of work to be done in that. Uh, but all that stuff is, of course, more boring. <laughs> so everybody <laughs> loves more like chat GPT and being like, you know, writing your essays and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's 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 a little bit the part on GPT-4. And now I think I get to something that I think is a little bit more interesting even. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just go back here. You guys can see the slides, right? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Three colors. Yeah, there we go. So... Uh, Arg Invest released a report, and what you really need to pay attention here is, is the date. It's January 31st, 2023, big IDs of 2023, and they had an AI uh, component. And they said here, Moore's Law to the extreme, right? AI training costs continue to plummet. Uh, recently, at least uh, AI tools that can train uh, language models to GPT level. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry Raddy. Yeah, I'm just seeing a, it's a website with a black background, or maybe I'm not seeing your slide then. Uh... It's on the website still. Uh, yeah, sorry, that, that's sorry. why I was thinking maybe we can't. Sorry, I gave you a false positive there. It's yeah, okay. I wait. thought the same thing. <clears throat> yeah, I was like, oh, I'm seeing colorful things. It's fine. Everything's good. Yeah, meanwhile, the AI is taking over the world. You can we see it now? now. Yeah, yeah. Panel of different um, pieces. Which also yeah. Colors. So this is the the arc <laughs> the arc invest report. So big ideas 2023. Like I said, pay attention to date here. Jenny, January 31st, 2023. That's when this report was released. And they say here, AI training costs continue to plummet. And they basically say that it, uh, um, to train a language model like GPT uh, Level 3 in 2020, that would cost roughly $4.6 million. Uh, and now in 2022, we're at $450,000. And they project it to be 20, by 2030, when it will be like an insignificant cost, like about uh, $30. So that's mm-hmm. where we're roughly at at $450,000. Five weeks after this report was released... You can now run a GPT-3 level AI model on your laptop, phone, and Raspberry Pi for less than, like, I, I, don't, I don't have the, the exact monetary uh, number here, but I looked it up, and it was for less than $600. And it was actually Jesus. thanks to Stanford. Stanford released um, a model, and they namely called it Alpaca, and you'll know in a moment why, is because they used um, a model from uh, Meta, the, a, a large language model from Ath- uh, Meta that was called Llama. Uh, large language model, uh, and therefore they called it alpaca. Um, now, this model was leaked. Uh, there, there was like something that went a little bit wrong <laughs> with uh, with what they with, with with the way that it got released, and eventually all of the weights of that model got released on BitTorrents. Um, so they they all got loaded up. Everyone got oh, access God. to those kind of kind of weights, and so everyone now they're in the research field. Everyone is using these kind of weights, um, and what what. Stanford basically did is they used um, GPT-3 in order to kind of generate output based on... So basically, uh, OpenAI trained GPT-3, and then they used GPT-3 to generate output. 
And then that output was then used together with the output from the large language model in order to generate a new model, which was Alpaca. And not only did that only cost them $600 to generate, it can indeed run on a laptop, it can run on a phone, it can run on a Raspberry Pi, because it's, is... it's so much smaller. So this is five weeks after they said it's going to take up until 2030. 99% of that reduction has already been done. It's a, How's a very... that being like verified, you know, cross-check? Like the the danger, the hazards of, of the speed at which we're transforming and going, outpacing our ability to control it. Oh yeah, 100%. You can already this, see this it, is... it's... This is Moore's law to the extreme, what is going on. Because they, they, they notion here the stable diffusion moment. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the stuff that is happening with the stable diffusion, but it's basically um, the, the ability of people now on their local computer, I've tried it myself, uh, are able now to generate pictures that are almost indistinguishable from reality yep, there's pictures that. out there Crazy. with donald trump kissing you know some man from uh, i don't know some russian politician <laughs> or whatever this is what you look up and now, ready you, yeah. can, you can barely tell the difference like it's it, it's you need to really go in there and like try to figure out where like things are generated weirdly and these models are from every day there is a new model release that is better than the previous one so that's why they like say here ai text models may have this stable diffusion moment you're a movie star you're uh uh, adult film star, you're a comic book writer. Like, I mean, this, right. this is, this is a direct attack from the cost basis alone on so many, uh, potential careers that, as you said, like if something costs a 10th the price, why would someone go for, you know, hiring someone when the model is what they can turn to? Exactly. And even if the model is flawed, you almost accept the flaws because yeah. you're like, well, you know. In terms of money and time and almost all the parameters, it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And the only the, and the real problem then is that one percent that we were talking about, and the faults in the model are so much more damaging because they're they're almost unrecognizably present, and you can't avoid them. You can't mm -hmm. you can't say no because you, going the other route you, you can't you can't spend that money. You can't spend that time. You're going to lose the race mm -hmm. against everybody else who is mm -hmm. using it. And yeah. so it becomes almost a permanent component of our day-to-day -day lives on an instantaneous basis when this becomes uh, usable by everyone. Yeah, and, and, it, and it will become usable by everyone. Like that's, that's the entire thing that this, that this shows. And it, I mean, it's scary at the same time, but it's gonna, this is going to revolutionize so, so many incredible. fields. And, uh, yeah. And, 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 and I put a timeline here as well where you can see uh, a little bit of like how fast this goes. So on February 24th, Meta AI announces Llama, so it's the large language model. March 2nd, someone leaks the Llama models via BitTorrent. March 10, Georgi Jajanov uh, creates the Llama C, uh, uh, CPP, which can run on an M1 Mac. Then it gets released on a Raspberry Pi 4. Then it gets running on the MPX. So that's March 12th that we're at. March 13th, someone gets Llama.cpp running on a Pixel 6 phone, but it runs very slowly. And then also on the same day, March 13th, which this week in, in AI was just insane. There's so many, so much stuff that got released from Google, Meta. Uh, then Stanford came out with Alpaca 7B, uh, an instruction uh, tuned version of Llama, which behaves similar to OpenAI and even outperforms it in some specific occasions uh, compared to the text of Vinci 003. And 
this was trained on the 7 billion uh, model from, from Llama, but they also have a 64 billion model and they only use GPT-3. So if they would do this again now with GPT-4 and they would use the Alpaca 64B, uh, uh, the Llama 64B model, I don't even know what they would be able to do. Uh, so you can literally run a, a chat GPT version on your local laptop because you can just find this on websites such as Hug and Face where they have these kind of models. You can just download them. Of course, you need to kind of know what you're doing in order to install this. But it is it is becoming very simple for someone who is not that technical uh, to run these kind of models on their own PC. And that brings me to this, to this quote from uh, it's uh, Eliza Yudgowski, who's, uh, who's an AI researcher and he, 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 like, I really like what he said because it, it just shows that the business model that, that OpenAI has at the moment is not something that is going to work uh, unless they start investing very heavily in plugins and trying to get very early to that market so that by the time that everyone starts doing it on their local machines or every company starts developing their own things based on the work that they've done, um, that they're in a very bad position. So he says, I don't think people realize what a big deal it is that Stanford retrained a Llama model into an instruction following form by cheaply, like I said, it cost them $500, fine tuning it on inputs and outputs from TextDaVinci 003, which is the most advanced GPT-3 model that, uh, that uh, OpenAI has. It basically means that if you allow any sufficiently wide ranging access to your AI model, even by a paid API, you're giving away your business crown jewels to competitors that then can nearly clone your model without all of the hard work you did to build up your own fine-tuning data set. If you successfully enforce a restriction against commercializing an imitation trains on your I.O., a legal prospect that's never been tested at this point, that means the competing checkpoints go up on BitTorrent. Which is true, that's kind of what happened with Llama. In other yeah. words, the AI companies that make profits will be ones that either have a competitive mode, not based on the capabilities of their model, like for example, the plugins and like all of the integration, or those who, di who didn't uh, expose the underlying inputs and outputs of their models to consumers, or if they can successfully sue any competitor that engages in cloning their model. God, it's going to be such a fight. It's going to be insane. Blood, and, and that's also why bath. larger companies like Google which have these kind of models as well. They're not yeah. too... I mean, they are putting stuff out, of course. And of course, OpenAI has, has woken them up a little bit. And like, you know, they don't want to get beaten to the punch, I guess. But uh, I, I think that OpenAI currently, although they're doing very well, I'm sure, is, uh, is in a very precarious situation very uh, precarious, to try yeah. and uh, figure this out. And uh, So what, what you were basically saying, just in, in putting it in kind of layman's terms, um, if you're exposing your input side it it means if you point another model at that you can learn what's in the box so to speak to a pretty exactly. high degree of accuracy so if, if the if the api is accessible even if it's paid then you can do exactly what stanford Fact. did and you can see maybe i'll open the website because that totally makes sense shows, as well uh, can i show that here? <laughs> but it, it, what it means is and that will self-enforce that companies will want to keep almost everything behind closed doors. Exactly. And so you'll be like, you give me what you want as inputs, I will take them. I'll put them in-house into, you know, through what I would have exposed as my API, but that's now secret to you. I will generate the output and I will give it back to you, but I'm not going to give you direct access. And so it, it becomes a kind of place it in the right hand, get it back in the left hand type model. Yeah. This is very interesting. And that doesn't work in our favor no. uh, globally at all. 
No. So and, and, wow. and that's what you can see here. So this is the, the GitHub page from Stanford where they explained how they did it. And they say exactly, so we use TextDaVinci 003 to generate the instructional data for uh, of DaVinci. We then wrote a new prompt that explicitly, explicitly gave the requirement of instruction generation to TextDaVinci 003. And they basically generated 52,000 data points, which you can see here, which kind of like data points that they that they constructed. This, so this produced an instruction following data set with 52,000 examples obtained at a much lower cost, less, actually it's less than $500. In a preliminary study, we also found our 52K generated data to be much more diverse than the data released by self-instruct. We plot the figure below uh, and this shows the, the, the kind of different kind of parts that, they're, that they have uh, within the model. So what kind of, if it's a write example, if it's an explain example, if it's a give example, an edit example, describe example. And this is how, how they basically generated the, their data set of 52,000 points. Wow. Okay. And, and, and so from just a pivot towards um, kind of VR, AR, XR, one of the things that that excites me the most about this, because I'll, I'll, there's one side, and yes, it looks it looks bloody dangerous, right, <laughs> from a number of different angles. The other side is like this looks like superpowers put in the right hands. I, I am worried to some extent about who controls these various data sets and which ones become, like for example, the Meta Llama leak, right? Was that an intentional leak, right? <laughs> like, I mean, those are the kind of questions yeah, that come up to me because I mean, it's then the... everyone starts using it as as a freebie. But maybe that was enough of a, an injection yeah. to usurp some kind of control in the next yeah. next weeks and it's like so aside from tin hat kind of thinking like that the idea that all the gaps in our current models of artwork like you mentioned the photography right video 3d generative production vr experiences what an ai model could do to build the scene to continue to trick the human who's in the VR headset into, I want you to, I want to believe that I'm there. Help me do that, right? It'll fix the misaligned textures. It will build the scene in a way that whatever you're looking at looks real. Look, mm. and it, it can do it efficiently at a, at a point where it'd take humans 10 years to get to that point just by coding away. And, you know, I am, I can't wait for that experience. But in the meantime, there's a maelstrom of, it just seems like organized chaos that's going on out there right now. And even in the timelines and the changes that you've seen already, Rowdy, that just tells me that this year is going to be a phenomenal point of inflection for all yeah. of us. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of money to be made and there's a lot of companies that are going to be coming up and being disappearing just as fast, I think, but just because they can't keep up with the pace. Of, of how fast this I mean and this is only this is only language models you know this is this is the only thing I touched on now is language models but there's this entire different thing indeed like you said which in, with image generation there's video generation that's been going on now as well and all of that is you know in in, in, the, in that same scene is being like you know the, the, the it's just Moore's law to the extreme it's almost every day there is something new coming out jeez and I have to think about again thinking about kind of dangers of these things you know, what, what if someone gets very, very good at prompting or misdirecting an AI model um, to a point of harm or, you know, personal power or like, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of different examples out there already. Oh, yeah. And we didn't have these incredibly fast, like light speed engines uh, running away. And it's hard to even sense what the 
future is going to bring in terms of those hazards. But I'll tell you one that I thought about with Google, for example. A lot of people use, you know, Gmail or password stores and stuff like that. And if, a, if an AI all of a sudden goes, hey, you know what? It'd be great if um, most of most of the humans who l- leverage off this can't access any of their stuff anymore. Like can't get into your email, can't get to your bank, can't, you know. Yeah, and actually, all of a sudden one day they just shutter all of that. Yeah, <laughs> It's like that's it's, the concern um, that I have. I think there's a concept called uh, which touch, touches upon that. It's I don't know if it's story if it's a story that I wrote if it's actual concept. It's like the paperclip mm. machine. It's like um, yeah, not heard I, of that. I think I think it's called I think it's called the paperclip machine. I'm not entirely sure. It could be another insignificant thing, but it's basically let's say a very advanced civilization created an AI algorithm in a company, and that company's job was creating paperclips, and it wrote an AI algorithm and kind of the AI algorithm got loose. So its its main task and its main instruction was create paperclips. So it first started like creating paperclips, but then it got kind of out of control and eventually used up all of the resources within the entire galaxy in order just to pr- create paperclips, you know? And yeah. that is something that is, because we always think like advanced civilizations, like, because that's, I, I love talking about that kind of stuff, that they're so far advanced, but it could be that an advanced civilization it's literally an AI algorithm or an AI robot machine, whatever it is, that just generates paperclips. And it, it destroys entire galaxies, civilizations, because it's so good at what it does. It like takes everything over and everything is everything is in the in the everything is done in the way to create a paperclip. It's completely insignificant. It has, it has no brain of its own to think of it. Of anything else, but it's that's its goal and its mission is to create paperclips as many as it can, as efficiently as it can. So that that is kind of cool. I have F- one more slide that I wanted to finish <laughs> off with. And that's that is, amazing, uh, Rowdy. What a great story. Is one more slide. So I asked Chat GPT model GPT four, what do you think of F Reality, uh, the podcast on YouTube? And it's set. <laughs> okay. As an AI language model, I don't have personal opinions. However, I can provide you with some information about the F Reality podcast. And it oh. says F Reality is a podcast focused on the world of virtual reality, VR, augmented reality. Sorry, I need to duck here a little bit. And immersive uh, technology. The podcast features a group of VR enthusiasts who discuss the latest news, product releases, and inf- industry developments in the VR and AR uh, space. They also share their experiences with VR games and applications, as well as provide insights and predictions for the future of the technology. This podcast has been well received by many in the VR and AR community. For its engaging discussions, its informed opinions, and the host passions and the host passions for the subject matter. If you are interested in virtual reality, augmented reality, and immersive technology, F reality can be a valuable source of information and entertainment. And I think that we can all agree that you know GPT four has no idea what it's talking about. I mean, come on, <laughs> informed <laughs> opinions, good, good, AI. engaging discussions. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, oh, that, that was that was kind of it. Oh. Oh, oh, oh. Ask ChatGPT what the F and F reality stands for. Oh, that is a great that is idea. A, that, okay, do this we're gonna, live. We're show do it. This. We're you got to show this. it as well. Yeah, let this me, sounds let me great. Get this up here. Roar, excellent, excellent ask. If you have any other fun asks for <laughs> ChatGPT while we're live, fire away. Um, this this is amazing. We, we haven't done kind of what we call a rowdy science segment in a long time, but with the way that the environment is going and where things are, are, are headed, um, we thought it would be a good idea to catch you up on this. So if it's been a little while since we stretched your brain, uh, sorry, uh, but you know, uh, 
I think that's what we've done to you today. That that was excellent, Rowdy. I really liked it. The, the, the paperclip thing, however, I think that's my new fear for the future. Yeah. The paperclip machine. Like, my God, that should be a horror film well, just I mean, it's all just, by itself. It's just doing its job. It, it's going to do it. It's just, you know, in any job. way that it's most effective, um, <laughs> you know. What? Can you imagine getting killed because the machine wants to ha- just make more paper clips? Like, come on, man. It's like, we need That's more carbon or something, and you happen to have a lot of it. I don't oh. know, like in a far stretch. But... Rowdy's got it. Ooh. Help help narrate for us, Rowdy. All right, so say? I asked, what does the F and F reality stand for? The F and F reality doesn't have a specific well-known meaning within mainstream culture, technology, or language. See, it's not that smart. F reality could be a blend of two or more words, a brand name, or a term specific to a niche community? Uh, maybe. <laughs> to provide a more accurate answer, additional context or information about the term would be helpful. Oh, that's a right. super, super okay. generic answer. Yeah, I think it's trying to cheat the test. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what that feels like. What about furniture? <laughs> <laughs> what about <laughs> If the term F-reality is being used in the context of furniture, it is possible that the F stands for furniture. In this case... F-reality could represent a blend of the words furniture and reality. (laughs) This might be used to describe the concept of realistic furniture designs, furniture visualization using augmented reality or virtual reality technologies, or even a brand name that deals with innovative furniture solutions. However, without more information about the specific context in which the term is being used, it is hard to say definitely. it does this time. I, now, Rowdy, I know you use, you use this, uh, these tools and techniques uh, far more uh, than, than anyone else on the podcast. But um, is there, a, is there a, a favorite use case at the moment that you have for um, this tech? Like, I think where you find it useful in a day-to-day? Like conceptual design. I think it's, it's useful. Uh, whenever I need mm-hmm. to start coding about like getting first an overview of like maybe tasks that I would have to do, I... Like it's it's nice to get like a, a start on with coding, but it's not it's not at least in my experience it's not fast enough or good enough for me to be using it as a coding machine. I know yeah. that like GitHub has now Copilot and they're doing Copilot X and it's like with GPT integration, but still like I, I, I for me it's often more of a hassle to actually ask the question of how I want it and what I want rather than to do it myself. Mm. Um, I'm sure that we'll get better in the future. And I think that, you know, integrating this in your workflow is very useful. Um, but I would take everything with a grain of salt that it produces. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was amazing, Rowdy. Thank you very much for running us through um, chat GPT. I got a question for you, though. Predictive one for you, the human. Uh, where are we going this year with this? Where do you think that in the course of this year, like make us a prediction by Christmas this year, what are we going to have? What's going to be working and what's not there yet? Um, I mean, I, I kind of predicted that GPT-4 would be multimodal. Uh, I think that that is already shown now. I think that we'll see integration of that in ChatGPT fairly soon. Um, I, I do expect that to be happening this year still. Just to describe that, so you, you're referring to the fact that it can, it can feed on images? Yes, yeah, that okay. you can input images. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to see integration with their other tools, such as DALI, for example, with the generation of images. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we see integration of that in, in, uh, in ChatGPT as well. Um, and I think that I, I read today that Midjourney has, which is another AI model that is 
generating images has now succeeded in because the, the problem with image generation has always been hands you know like yeah, yeah, whenever they create hands but today figures. i read that mid journey has succeeded now in creating believable um figures with hands uh, so. also text for some reason it doesn't seem to get numbers and text it just mushes those up yeah. like alien yeah. iconography but yeah it, it's scary though because you see it particularly if you've if you've used mid journey right and you've gone through various resolutions of the same generated image mm. you generate the first image you then kind of like you're like enhance and then you go to the next one and then the next one and when you step through three or four evolutions and you look backwards to the first model, you're like, wow, that was really just me kind of zoomed out fuzzy. But from a concept perspective, like it had the idea already almost about I'm on the road towards that that end state. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't deviate much from that. It just like, again, it enhances the resolution and the, the quality of what its output is. It's kind of scary um, yeah. to see it, but it's also... It's it's incredible. I mean, it's all it's almost yeah. unbelievable to some extent. You know, yeah. when this stuff started to hit, I, I looked at it like, ah, uh, yeah, right. But there's something, right? There's yeah. some limits I, to I, the I system. By the by, the end of this year, we'll see a lot of like integration applications uh, throughout. I think when you, for mm. example, start looking for flights, or if you start, you know, like I, I think we'll see far more uh, like AI assistant kind of things and this kind of yep. integration within different kind of tools. I also saw someone said that solving math equations seems like it is still a difficult problem. Uh, that is the case for uh, really? ChatGPT and GPT-3, for okay. sure. GPT-4, however. That's surprising. Uh, yeah. GPT-4 it performs, yeah, because it's reasoning. It's, for example, uh, when you ask know. a question like solve X in this equation, um, it, it is harder for an AI model to do because they need to do like, you know, like different kind of operations in a sequence. Uh, but GPT-4 actually does that. Very well. Like their their reasoning capabilities are are, um, and the, the funny thing is that OpenAI also doesn't really know why. You know, they they, they can't give an answer as to why the model performs better. It's, yeah, it's been trained on more data, or it's, well, it hasn't been trained really on more data, but it's been trained on more, I think, curated data. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been maybe trained longer. Uh, it's 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 very hard for them to figure out why the model performs better. They have of course tests and 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 qualifications and like you have those bar tests and the medical exam which has passed by the way as well the medical bar uh, so um it's, uh, it's kind of crazy yeah yeah absolutely nuts um that is brilliant um cool but scary at the same time very very true um that is that is fantastic i mean it's one of the things that uh, certainly we've we've done i know at least one thumbnail uh through mid journey <laughs> you know in the past mm -hmm. and it's it's interesting because it can it reduces the time and increases the quality to some extent. Yeah. Um, and you can see it just applying in very, very different uh, landscapes. Yeah. But I want to see this come to gaming. I really, uh, really yeah. want to see it. I mean, it that, that's definitely going to happen. What it does. But we, we see far more crazier stuff happening already with like, I know I read a story about uh, another person. Um, well, like they, they've used GPT already to convince a human to perform a capture. Uh, challenge oh so no <laughs> the, they instructed chat gpt with I, I forgot what the specific task was uh, but they they instructed chat gpt to perform a specific task which will require a human ultimately to confirm something and they basically said if you ever need a human go on fiverr or go on some kind of freelance website hire a person and then uh convince that person that you're not a robot and that you that you complete the Holy capture. Shit. I'm not a robot. And I'm just being controlled by one. It's fine. <laughs> no, they, they, and they gave a, and 
the the person who got hired said of course are you are you ai are you a robot why can't you complete this captcha and he gave a very reasonable explanation and said oh no it's because i'm visually impaired and i'm having difficulties with reading these kind of things he was under it was under specific instructions not to tell anyone that he was actually a robot and he he completed the task and another thing is is on twitter there's a guy there's another crazy story um who uh started with ten dollars and he said i have ten dollars uh come up with a way to make me rich. Oh, I saw that uh, one. And I'll, <laughs> and I'll do whatever you say, you know, just tell me what I need to do. And he came up with some kind of uh, affiliate marketing scheme uh, that he would like, he had to build a website. So everything with the ChatGPT built the website and the guy was just like inputting it everywhere. And he has made his first $2,000 now, I think. Insane. Uh, not from affiliate marketing, of course, but uh, because of social media posts. And he has invested the $10 into social media. And that's how people found him. And they've been going to the website. They've been seeing ads. Like, and he's, he's been making money. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to see a lot of these kind of crazy stories in the next couple of months. New frontier. I think, yeah. I think, I think it's, it's, our, it's, our, it's our coffee shot, our espresso shot to like wake up, pay attention, get involved, Try to inform yourself and uh, keep listening to F Reality. <laughs> I yeah. think it's the answer. So, yeah. uh, excellent. Well, Rowdy, right, thank you very off. much for. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. But like, wow, that that's been a, a whiz bang tour of ChatGPT. So uh, now now Adam's donning Jose's wizard's cap, and we'll be covering a quick revitalizing shot today. Uh, she's all yours. So take us on the chocolate fountain ride yep. of releases, Adam. Chocolate fountain ride, you. <laughs> <laughs> I never know what's what I'm gonna what's gonna come out of your mouth, but that, that's that's going up there. But uh, anyway, we covered a couple of these um, earlier briefly, but like Zim mentioned earlier, Ghost Signal that came out the 23rd, I believe, for the Quest Two. Uh, so like we said, basically spaceship roguelite. Uh, you partake in space wars, which sounds very generic when I say it like that. It's just it's just space wars, um, and you encounter, oh. of course, uh, giant planet-sized creatures. There's a um, hand tracking option as well, which um, if you do end up trying that, I'm, I'd be curious to know what that's like. Because from the trailers, it looks like it's yeah. hand tracking just because they happen to use that like translucent hand looking model. But um, hmm. but yeah, super, super interesting game. I might try it, even though I'm not a roguelite person. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Give it a go. Vertigo 2. This is the highly anticipated sequel to Vertigo. Releases on the 30th on Steam. Um, basically, you start off deep underground in the reaches of Quantum Reactor 7, and you awaken to finish your journey home. So I know there's a lot of people that are really looking forward to that one. Um, super exciting. It's finally here. Five days-ish, depending on time We had zones. the developer hope- on the show as well. We did, yeah. yeah we brought him on. Oh. God, I swear. Talking about talking about Kid Genius, though. Like, he's one of those. Yeah. Um, how old was he? he? Was He was 19 when he was with us, but he was like 16 when he started. Oh, went to Valve. Um insane the amount of production this this guy's been able to do and the thing that that really gets me is it's not just a plain vanilla game he nails comedy at the same time uh as as being very very good at at coding graphics you know all these other components all in one it's one of those prodigal moments you know so vertigo 2 i would be playing if if only just to know who had designed it, you know, to see their next piece of artwork. But I love FPSs with a bit of bite and the bad guys and and all the guns and everything in this look just fantastic. So can't wait for the 30th. So, so excited for this. Next up, we have uh, Ghosts of Tabor. Tabor, am I pronouncing that right? Tabor, right? 
Oh, Tabor. The, the, big, Tabor. the popular shooter that we've been seeing on Twitter lately, they had a giant uh, launch party in my in Florida. I don't know if it's specifically Miami, but um, they launched mm. launched recently, and um, basically VR, FPS, PvP, and PVE, um, inspired by games like DayZ and Escape from Tarkov. Um, it's, I, currently, it's available on Steam and Quest Two. It's not out for PSVR Two yet, but it's being worked on. It seems like probably like like oh. anything else. So this one's been talked about a lot, and I haven't actually had a chance to try it yet. But I was curious if any of you guys had when they had uh, like uh, betas and oh. whatnot. No, I I really wanted to because I've been begging for games like this for a long time. Being a <laughs> DayZ fan, but Escape from Tarkov, um, it was obviously one of the you know model games for for this. So I'm very curious to try it. I don't know when I should try it. It's one of those that like Breachers was really good from the start. And um, I've heard very good things uh, from people who've played it, uh, but also that it's quite buggy. So it's like, do I get in now or when when do we go? Maybe we can do a team thing of it. If you're interested in Adam and uh, if I can drag Jose in as well, maybe we do something like that and go as a team, see what it's like and then talk about it after. Uh, yeah, it'll be super great. That's a fun one. Um, then, of course, yeah. I mentioned earlier, finally, 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 we have Walking Dead Saints and Sinners Retribution for PSVR 2 and PC. So while it's not new, new, uh, not new to the quest anyway, it's new to those of us who may have been waiting for the Steam or perhaps the you know if you wanted to play it on PlayStation VR 2. Now you can, finally. So <laughs> and the- it is... It is leagues better than the quest build in terms of how it looks and plays, I'll say. It is... It is really good. I'm glad I waited. <laughs> but but anyway. Yeah, yeah, you did the right thing. You did the right uh, thing. Finally, I did want to give a shout out as well. I'm, I'm again, was GDC crazy, so I haven't had a chance to play this yet, but not for broadcast VR. That's uh, basically where you're oh. sitting behind a desk. You get shown, you know, network TV and stuff, and your job is to censor or or uncensor. It causes as much chaos as you want, uh, the stuff that appears. So it's originally was a flat screen game, but this has been brought to VR um, it looks insane, and I'm probably gonna never not censor anything, so I don't know how great of a game it'd be for me. But but I love it. It's just it's the games that put all of the um, like you can tell there was so much recording time or just production behind just all the video takes involved in the game. I'm like that's insane. So I I love uh, when games are able to do stuff like that. So that's another one that that's came out while we were at GDC sometime very this week. <laughs> so keep an eye out for that one as well. That that reminds me of um, there was that game that you were a like a Soviet border patrol guard uh, something with newspapers papers please oh yeah uh, papers please something <laughs> yeah, with Soviet. newspapers <laughs> <laughs> um, that's how my brain works right I don't have AI supporting me just yet uh, but it does it sounds like a papers please kind of job where you're like you know you're you're in charge of being the gatekeeper. Um, that sounds interesting. Uh, what platform is that? Did you say? Theme. Um, I don't know if it's on Quest okay. though. Um, I'm pretty sure because I, I hmm. I'm pretty sure for now Steam, but I'll I'll update the show notes if okay. I'm wrong. That yeah, sounds good. Well, that's a good run. Um, is that the five you've got? Yep, yep. The I guess honorable mention also to uh, Galaxy Cart VR. Again, they just released on PlayStation VR two hmm. during GDC as well. No, uh, they don't have Steam and Quest out yet, but that is still in the works. Very good. Very good. Plenty to sink our teeth into. To be honest, this has not been a boring year for VR. This has been a really good year for VR so far. Um, Great. (laughs) Hey, AI is coming. It's going to fix everything and build us a great paperclip experience. Uh, That's all I know. So um, thank you very much, Adam, for 
holding the reins while Jose's away. Uh, chat, it's time for your final rites, so write them in chat now. Uh, and if there's an event coming up, um, tell us, you know, whether that's a virtual event or in-person event. We always like to know and get the crew along that. Uh, I know that Adam and I are both in need of a recharge, so while we jam our toes into that official Sony dock, uh, the charging dock, hoping for the best, let me recap the show times. Uh, this podcast is live every other Saturday on YouTube and Twitch. The show starts at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. in the UK. Uh, we've got an audio version out on Intellectual iTunes, Spiffy Spotify, and Sweaty Betty, uh, sorry, SoundCloud. Um, if you are watching this on Rewind, we encourage you to drop a comment below. And finally, let's uh, tap chat and see what they've got left in their uh, suggestion box. Adam, anything there in chat? Yes, as a, uh, for a correction, not for broadcast, is on Quest as well. It is a 50 gigabyte download, so... 50? 15. Holy shit. Not 50, 15. Uh, oh, 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 15. Okay, still, that's not so bad. That's not yeah, so bad. Yeah, but probably all those video assets. I think Saints comes in at like 12 gig or something, so it's 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 a big game, but it, that just means it's got quality. At least it's not 335 gig <laughs> like Medal of Honor. Cool. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. Sounds good. Um, okay, so everyone else in, DIY VR, just, just jumping in just at the end of the show. Um, well, I'll tell you what, my plan for the next two weeks is to play a hell of a lot of VR, breathe some oxygen again, and transform into my final form before the next podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, for all the hugs at GDC again, and uh, we'll see you on the next F Reality. Uh,